Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And brothers and sisters, Jazakallah khair for joining us today. The doctor will be joining us very, very shortly. Uh, as most of you probably already know, this is Doubt Busters. And the Doubt Buster streams basically are any type of doubts that you have had, some niggly doubts or whatever, or if um, somebody's presented a doubt to you or somebody's presented something that perhaps caused you a doubt or even perhaps caused you a concern and you'd like it sort of uh, answered. Uh, inshallah, as I said, the doctor will be joining us shortly. And then inshallah, we will have hopefully some of you guests joining us. Uh, my thanks to all the brothers and sisters who are joining us from the Muslim Lantern. Uh, Brother Muhammad Ali has a fantastic channel. Um, I'm not saying that we're going to be able to keep up with the brother because he is, mashallah, uh, in my view, one of the best days, alhamdulillah, out there at the moment. Very knowledgeable, mashallah, but we will do our best, inshallah ta'ala. So if you do have any questions, uh, any doubts that have come to you, please um, just basically come onto the show. We've got the link in the chat and we should have it in the description as well. We'll put it on the screen regularly for you as well so you know exactly what to uh, what to click. Uh, that's the that's the stream link there. You just click on that and you can come on straight away. If you are non-Muslim and you have a couple of questions, uh, this is not a debate uh, scenario, but if it if it literally is to um, just correct a couple of things or rect uh, or sort of explain a couple of things rather, uh, and you wish to take your shahada, of course we'll we'll allow you on uh, straight away. So we've already got uh, Mashallah guests waiting. If you could have your cameras, please, on backstage, and we can just verify you. And once we've verified you, Inshallah, Ta'ala, we'll get you on straight away. So uh, as you, if, when you come backstage, just as I say, have your cameras on. Uh, we just need to sort of verify you for legal reasons. You can you can switch your camera off, of course, if you want to before you come live. Uh, but that is very very important. Jazakallah uh, khair, already 220, 239 of you joined the stream uh, If you can just like the stream as well So we can actually uh, get this stream pushed out as much as possible Hopefully to benefit the maximum number of people Brother Wasif, just give me a quick wave if you can please Lovely, we're going to get you on next uh, You can turn your camera off or leave it on Whatever you're comfortable with Brother Wasif, welcome to the stream Thank you so much And assalamualaikum to everybody and to yourself as well Wa alaikum assalam yeah, so um, I guess my question is more, um, it's on the same coin. Um, and basically what I mean by that is like on one side of the coin, when I look at videos, for example, about talking about Islam or like, let's say, for example, you know, there are people that are like atheists or like Christian ap apologists or like, you know, people that are saying that, oh, how is your prophet a prophet? For example, when he, they say, he married Aisha at the age of nine, or let's say they mentioned things like, oh, the Quran allows child marriages and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and like all these other different weird topics or kind of topics where you're just like, whoa, what the heck is that? Right. Yeah. And, and you start going in a rabbit hole of trying to find answers and everybody has their own opinion or own answer. Mm. And then that drives you crazy. Right. Mm. And then to the point you're just like, you're at a standstill where you're like, you feel like your faith is going not like down, but it's like wavering in a point where like you're giving up and you're just like, am I just blindly following Islam at this point? Right. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be fully convinced. Like I want, like I, I try to like 
research about the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and like try to understand what's the most authentic biography or 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 learning of his life. And everybody has their own opinion. They say read this era or read this or listen to this scholar or watch this video or watch this documentary or whatever. And then everybody has their own opinion, right? And then so that's what I'm talking about. If I could get yeah, um, whereabouts are you um, tuning in from today? I, I'm, ca- I'm calling from Canada. Oh, Canada, mashallah. Okay. So what we'll find, Wasif, is that the differences of opinion generally are on minor issues, generally speaking. On ma- major issues, creedal issues, pillars of Islam, pillars of Iman, th- these things are fairly, um, you know, robustly, uh, and I say consistently, uh, and have a consensus throughout scholarship and throughout Muslims. Now, when it comes to things like what you've discussed here, you know, discussing things of, of moral conduct, when it comes to, for example, the Prophet ﷺ, of course, not from our perspective, I'm talking about from the non-Muslim perspective. Uh, generally speaking, what you will find is either they will uh, operate within um fallacious uh, arguments such as applying um, the norms of society today, um, life expectancy, education level, maturity, readiness for marriage, all of these different components as they stand today, and then apply them retrospectively on the seventh century as if somehow all of the circumstances, like, as I say, um, um, you know, mortality being not uh, uh, much earlier back then. And of course, people live in, in the West generally, you know, the average age is probably in its 80s, 82, 83, something like that, right? If you move to the Asian subcontinent, uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, these countries, you know, it's 68, 70, around that sort of age. Mortality is a little bit earlier because of access to um, medication and what have you is different, right? And medical care, right? So, what I'm trying to say to you is that you can't apply the norms of society today and apply them retrospectively because that is a fa- that's a fallacious way of com- making a comparison. Oh, assalamu alaikum, doctor. How are you? Welcome, assalamu alaikum, How are you doing? Bro? You're very loud, very, very loud, mashallah. Either, either you're loud or I'm a bit quiet and I've turned my voice. reduce up. my sound? Not too much, though, because otherwise we won't hear you because, mashallah, your voice is always quite calm as it is. So, mm-hmm. So that's one of the things, brother. The other thing is that when we say difference of opinion about Sira and these type of things, people have their preferences. But generally speaking, there are two or three Sira's that are very well known and they are very well respected uh, and they come highly recommended. Some people have their preferences, but they're very, very accurate. For me, um, regardless of the person's scholarship or any controversy that might surround him, most sheikhs agree and most uh, scholars have agreed that the seerah by Yasser Qadi, for example, in English, which is on YouTube, is generally speaking fairly accurate, very accurate, in fact. Okay, um, Some people have said Martin Ling's. Uh, there is one aspect in Martin Ling's where he mentions a, a, a situation between the Prophet, peace upon him, which there is disagreement upon. But generally speaking, it's a good seerah as well, right? Um, now, what I'm trying to say to you is that when it comes to things wavering your iman, like you said, uh, you, you know, I always say to people that there are two fundamental things that you need to convince yourself about. And everything else, if you're uncertain about it or unsure about it, 
leave that to your ignorance rather than it being problematic by itself. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean blind following, by the way. I'm saying that you have to verify that the Quran is indeed the book of Allah. It's a miracle as it claims to be a miracle. And in fact, it is preserved as it's promised to be preserved. Now, if you establish those two things, what happens? All of the problems with, you know, uh, not our, from our perspective, from the non-Muslim perspective, the age of Aisha, slavery, uh, marriage, when can he, be, all of those issues actually become non-issues because they will have an explanation and they will be morally perfect uh, according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because you've established the first two things. The Quran is indeed a miracle from Allah and it has indeed been preserved. And I think we can objectively prove both of these things. So all of the other things that you might find problematic are not a problem in, in it themselves, but rather a problem with your understanding or your knowledge about those matters. Um, there is no such thing, for example, in the Quran as child marriage. Uh, it, because we've discussed this many times before, it talks about uh, a, a girl that hasn't menstruated, okay? She hasn't had a period, but she has still reached an age where she would be regarded, even as in modern times, as a woman, even though she may not start her period. Some girls might not start their period until they're 16 or 17 even, right? Mm -hmm. But there are other factors that are looked at to establish, you know, hair and what have you, right? These things are used to establish. So once you, ha once you have hair, even if a boy, for example, if a boy doesn't have a, and I'm sorry to be explicit, but it's a, we're all grown up here. If a boy doesn't have a wet dream, uh, he hasn't ejaculated, you could argue that he hasn't reached puberty, but of course he would be. As soon as his voice starts changing, as soon as there's hair, you're regarded to be uh, pubescent then. Now, of course, there is something called, uh, as doctor has explained, something that can happen prematurely before the age of nine or ten. But this would be taken into account within the Islamic paradigm. Look how beautiful and comprehensive the teachings within Islam are, because it's not just about puberty. It is about maturity. It's about physical and mental capability and capacity. And guess what? There's one other very important co component, Wasif, and that component is the Prophet said your cultural norms have to also be taken into consideration in order to fix the time of marriage. Now, as our age uh, of um, mortality, mortality basically is not as early as it was, the life expectancy is much higher. The, our girls are generally less mature today because they're not ready for marriage, because we don't we don't um, br bring them up in a way where they would become ready for marriage at a very early age. OK, mm -hmm. so culturally now we've decided, depending upon all of the different circumstances uh, of how that girl is brought up and her physical, mental approach and everything else to marriage, we have deemed even in the Muslim world, most Muslim countries, if not all, have a minimum age of around 18 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, because, because times have changed and because of all of the circumstances have changed, the the age itself has now changed. So there's, we, we don't have to be apologetic. Establish the two things about the Quran and, and it being preserved and leave everything else to your ignorance or your lack of understanding 
uh, or leave it to a, a time when you may get the answer for those things. But don't don't let those things shake your iman. And I'll tell you why. Because they don't undermine the Qur'an and they don't undermine the preservation of the Qur'an. Therefore, if those two things are correct, everything else cannot undermine that factual uh, that factual component of our iman, of our religion. Uh, does mm -hmm. that make sense to you, Brother Asif? Uh, sorry, Wasif. Uh, yeah, it does. In fact, you mentioned something earlier just now about myself. Um, yeah. When you're talking about iman, like especially like my from my own experiences, like this is now the other side of the coin, as I was mentioning earlier, where when I speak to Muslims in general or when I engage like online, for example, even in person, they, everybody has their own ideology. Like some people are saying, oh, Salafi is the way or like, what's your madhab? Are you Hanafi? Are you Shafi? And I'm like, what's what's the truth? Like, what do I follow? Like, I was raised in a Hanafi family, but like, um. I'm at that point of like, you know, where should I start off? Sorry, brother Wasif. Assalamualaikum, brother Ajaz. Sorry, I didn't realize that. Assalamualaikum, Ajaz. How are you doing? My bad. It's a pleasure to be with you, brother. Assalamualaikum. So, brother brother Wasif, about the madhab, the scholars generally widely agree there's a consensus again. This is not something that is a minor opinion. This is a major opinion that generally go, go to the school that culturally you're used to, that you were born in, and you have scholarly access to. So if you have lots of Hanafi scholars near you, or you have Hanafi scholars, and you're from a Hanafi household, alhamdulillah, continue with Hanafi madhab, which is basically, effectively, what you're saying is that everybody might have a selection of books, of hadith that they may turn to, to look at, for example, to uh, do whatever the, the obligations that they need to do within, the, within Islam. Hanafi uh, basically Imam Abu Hanifa basically compiled those hadith that he felt that were the strongest and he then had his school of thought Shafi, Maliki, Hanbali it's very similar in that way now if you are a Shaykh al-Hadith you are a, a scholar in Islam you don't need to follow any madhab you don't need to if you have that capability and capacity to access the primary sources, which are predominantly in Arabic. And you've you know trained yourself for 15, 20, 25 years and you've trained under scholarship. You may decide not to follow a mother. That's perfectly fine as well. But for uh, the average person like you or me, right, uh, who are not scholars, it's always better to conform to a school of thought because all the hard work in verifying and everything else has been done for you, basically. So that, that's why I would recommend to that, Wasif. But I think, Wasif, you know what it is, brother? Often what happens is these doubts and uncertainties creep in because we haven't understood our religion from the very basic concepts. And so then when basic concepts do come in and that we have to have a look at, they become overwhelming and confusing. And that's that's probably because we've been lazy because we haven't really put the groundwork in. We haven't really learned the basics of fiqh, the basics of you know jurisprudence, the basics of sirah, for example, uh, the, ba the basics of Quran, the basics of preservation, the basics of m the miracles within the Quran. We haven't learned the basics. And therefore, when something small then comes, it sort of shakes us. Where do you recommend I start then? I would say, do you have, uh, in Canada, mashallah, uh, brother Ijaz can probably recommend you 
books and mosques probably that you can go to, scholars that you can access in Canada. Yes, where you can start uh, absolutely. Sort of what, what what province are you located in, Brother Wasser? I'm in Ontario. Alhamdulillah. There's a, I might be biased here, but I'm part of something called the I3 Institute, and they have a free one-year program called the Young Dai Program, where they take you through the fundamentals of Islam in, I would say, adequate detail. Then there's a second year, and you can even put all free of charge, by the way. So I can put you in contact with them. The I3 Institute, just i3institute.ca, free of charge. And usually we try to group you into uh, a class where people are nearby to you. We have many free events and uh, social activities. So if that's your type of thing, I can uh, put you with some really solid people, inshallah. The, the link's up there on the screen for I'll you. Put the link on uh, the screen, and it's in the chat as well, if you want to copy yes. that. And uh, and if you uh, want other options, just send us an email, and I can find them. I, I know many of the uh, shayukh here in Canada. I can find you something nearby to you as well, inshallah, if, if that's more of your thing. Sure. But may Allah bless you for, for for seeking out the path of knowledge and uh, may he make it easy for you. I mean, I mean, thank you. You're welcome, brother. I hope that's helped. Dr. Imran, did you want to add anything to that at all? That's fine, Inshallah. I didn't hear the beginning, I was away. So, uh, but no, Alhamdulillah, no. sounds very comprehensive. Just uh, like, if, if, if I can just add one thing, it's Please, that uh, Brother Wasif, as the, uh, Brother Abbas already laid out for you, the hard work has already been done. You don't have to figure out the uh, the you, you don't have to do the hard work yourself of building up your Islam, of trying to find out what is authentic from not authentic. You can trust and not trust. Ahlus Sunnah is well-defined. And as long as you attend a main street institute with well-known shayukh, you will always be at comfort, inshallah. So don't have this worry or concern. It's very unlikely you're going to end up in a cult. And if you do, someone's going to tell you. I, I promise you, okay? So, so don't be worried about... Uh, going off the path, there are enough people on the path, you stick with the Jama'ah, you stick with the majority of the people, and you will be okay, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. I want to just, sorry, I just cut him off a bit early there, he was saying, uh, I just want to put this comment up, uh, doctor, it's it's a bit embarrassing, really, having to deal with these issues over and over again. Abbas, you are straying from the real issue, your prophet, unlike other men, was the best of mankind, led by God, sinless, a person of such a profile does not have intimacy with a nine-year-old girl, right? I've explained to you the point about applying, it's, a, it's called a fallacious argument of presentism. I would, I would urge you to educate yourself. Find out what that argument is. Why is it a fallacious argument? Why is it, de uh, why is it defined as presentism? There are reasons for that. And it's interesting because if, you, if, if you're a Christian, for example, you, know, you don't have an age of consent in terms of marriage in the Bible, in the New Testament. Under Jewish law, it's also puberty, by the way. Now, obviously, in, in the Old Testament, there, I think Rebecca got married at three years old or whatever. Now, we don't want to play these type of games with you. But, I mean, that's one third of the age of Aisha, anha. So, you know, let's not play these silly games. Educate yourself. It's called the fallacy of presentism, right? 
It's a bit better, but let's yeah. play. Let's play the game. His name is Levitical Laws. Well, exactly. He, 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 I mean, he's lost already. You can't have a name like that and then use an argument like this. You're inconsistent one way or the exactly. other. Exactly. It's a bit ridiculous. Exactly. Doctor Iman, do you have any input there? Yeah, I think that just understand the principle of the argument present being presented, and the principle is. Uh, that if if there is someone who we regard today as being, for whatever reason, morally uh, suspect, that person can't be a prophet of God. So let's let's just take this principle and apply it to any prophet of the Old Testament. Definitionally, they would have to reject all of them, because we have claims of drunkenness, sending people away to a dying battle to take over to so you can be intimate with their wife, uh, sleeping with your old your own daughters, all the all of these things we we reject. But these are the examples of people who they regard as prophets That's right. themselves from their own writings. That's right. So if the principle is set that way, then you're going to how are you going to reject? Uh, would would you go so far as is calling being racist towards a group of people? Would that be regarded as someone who is amoral and you wouldn't you would no longer follow them? Then what are you going to do when Jesus, according to the narrative in the New Testament, uh, tells a Canaanite woman that I've not come from you, that uh, your people are like dogs? Mm. Now, and this so there's many things that can be pointed at, but these principles are actually you have to see understand the underlying principle of the argument. And the argument being made here is uh, is, is actually refuted in multiple ways, and other masters have already done that. But this is this is why. It's interesting that no one, uh, when when people are trying to attack Islam, uh, a lot of the objections are going to be from a moral liberal standard as opposed to dealing with the fundamental points. Uh, because the fundamental points, how are you going to argue with monotheism? How are you how are you going to argue with preservation of the Quran? How are you going to argue with uh, you know all of the uh, the social laws that we have that that provide benefit to the society? Whether that's preserve preserving people from addictions, whether that's preserving preserving the money system, monetary system, so that people are not financially exploited, whatever that system might be, it's designed to benefit the society and uh, the the person and the society, and not just those who are richer in power. So these 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 arguments. Uh, arguments are silly, and also if you if you still talking from the biblical point of view, the Old Testament point of view, you've got major problem major problems. If you're talking it about if you're talking about it from a secular point of view, non-religious point of view, or an atheist or whatever, well, your age of consent actually has only changed in the last what century, century and a half. Before that, our kings were married at, at six and seven and eight years old. You know, uh, people were betrothed from the womb. Uh, so, you know, and the fact is that the social consensus of the time accepted it. And from a, a, a atheistic point of view, you only have social consensus as a as a yardstick to measure morality. So as a as a definite, as a as a, uh, you know, um, an absolute you can't apply that from a, a secular point of view and you can't apply it from your, your religious point of view. If you're if you're uh, most religions, if you find the gods were marrying, their gods were marrying children and what have you. Right. And and so the, the point we're trying to make here is that just understand the discussion, understand the fact that if you're going to be dead at 23 or 24 or 25, which is what the life expectancy was for people in the seventh century. You're not going to get married at 18 or 19 or 20 years old because before your child is even five or four years old, 
depending on if you had the children straight away. Of course, if you have them after two or three years in your marriage and you married at 18 or something, then you, you, you might be dead before your child is even two or three years old. You might be breastfeeding your child and you might be dead. So it's a different set of circumstances. And unfortunately, in the West especially, we look at this issue, apply retrospectively. We look at what's happening today with child abuse and things like that. And then we apply that retrospectively on the 7th century, 1400 years ago or 2000 years ago. And it doesn't work. So just educate yourself, please. Don't just make stupid comments like that. Uh, Ramon, uh, if you have your camera on, I'll get you on straight away. Otherwise, I want to get Omar on. Ramon, just give me a quick wave if that's okay. Lovely. We're going to get you on now, brother. You can turn your camera off if you like. Uh, that's lovely. Uh, Ramon, welcome to the stream. Oh, Assalamualaikum, everyone. Waalaikum assalam. Okay, yeah. So just had a few questions, right? Um, just to give you a bit of background about myself first, because I think it's, it might be important because then you'll understand the context. Um, I'm originally from a Shia background um, and born in a Shia household. Um, and been practicing essentially the religion of Shiism for the past uh, more than 30 years. And um, obviously I've got quite a few Shia friends, Sunni friends, and we get involved in quite heavy discussions about religion and whatnot. And, you know, people are saying, you know, you should believe this, you shouldn't believe that, all sorts of different things. And basically it got me really confused. So I just thought, you know what? Uh, mind my language when I say this I just thought you know what let, let's just screw what everyone else believes and let me just read the Quran and try and find the truth myself right mm. so then I, I read the Quran I read it once I read it twice I read it a third time and the concept of Tawheed to me became very crystal clear mm. so you know this concept when people say you know you can do dua or supplicate to someone who's not God whether that be Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, or um, what some of his companions or Imam Ali, as the Shia do, and they say Yali Madat. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. So it became perfectly clear to me that this is essentially one of the biggest acts of shirk anyone can do, and yeah. that that was just glaringly obvious to me. It wasn't. Yeah. There was, you don't need. A scholar to come and tell you this, you just need to pick up the Quran, which I wish I'd done a bit earlier, but mm. fair enough, I've done it now. Mm. So I, I guess my question is, um, majority of the Muslims that exist today, and this is excluding this, uh, the Salafi school of thought, they do believe in supplicating to the prophets or pious saints. And that, to me, was quite worrying. Um, I'll, let, I'll let, inshallah, Ijaz start with that. But what do you mean supplicate to the prophets? Because... Are you saying sending salawat, i.e. sending peace, blessings from uh, to the prophets? Or are you saying actually praying to the prophets and asking them for favor, for help? Yeah, so the latter. So asking Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, for help, for example. If they're, if they're stuck in a situation, they'll say, oh, Prophet Muhammad, help me in this circumstance. Because this they believe God has given him the power to help us. This would not be this would not be allowed. Definitely not be allowed. Generally, but I'll let Ijaz inshallah start the conversation. Yeah, uh, first of all, yeah. Assalamu alaikum. Uh everyone, may Allah bless you for seeking the true path of knowledge. And uh, I know that you had some difficulties uh, arriving at Sunni Islam and staying steadfast. May Allah keep you steadfast. I mean, um 
as for istirahat, we would generally say it would be better to refrain from this. Some of the ulama say it's not permitted. And in, in general, we always seek Allah first. And he should be our only means of guidance and truth. So if you want to seek help, you seek the one who can help all. Uh, there are some people who say that uh, it is permissible, but in the end, they think it's the Prophet ﷺ interceding on behalf of you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That just complicates things. We don't generally find that to be permissible. We don't think that people should do this. And as Allah you know, mentions in Surah Al-Fatiha at the very start of the Quran, um, uh, we ask him to guide us. You alone do we worship. You alone do we ask for help. So if he tells that if he tells that to us in Surah Al-Fatiha, that's it. it. It's clear cut. There's no debate over that, and I think there is a large consensus on this. There are people on the peripheral who disagree, but we should not concern ourselves with the peripheries. We should stick to the main body of the Muslims. Uh, Dr. Imran or Brother Abbas, if you want to add to that. Dr. Imran, please. So just to sort of um, step back a little bit. So there are. Um, so the, the, the verses within the Quran are very, I'm glad that you, you did a bit of reading and research. The verses within the Quran are very clear about this. Mm-hmm. Um, verses that say that, you know, and they worship beside Allah things that do not harm them or more profit them. And they say, these are our intercessors with Allah. Uh, and say, do you inquire Allah that which he does not know in the heavens and earth? Glorified and exalted is he above that they so, associate as partners with him. And there are many, many verses like this that telling that you, if you're invoking anyone, Besides Allah, that you're, you're essentially doing something that is wrong, that is impermissible. Now, the, the and the and the, the usually the reasons that these people are given are all the same. They because even the pagan Arabs believed in Allah. Even the pagan Arabs believed in Allah, and they believed in other of these other these gods, these false gods, as a a means of accessing Allah. That we have to pray through them or via them or ask them to take our dua. Uh, and the logic is the same. The logic is, look, we're not pure enough. We're not clean enough. Allah's not going to listen to us. We need to find someone purer and cleaner to, you know, have ourselves be heard. You'll get examples like you can't go to the prime minister directly. You have to go to one of his ministers who who then carries your word forward. Uh, basically going against what, what Allah is teaching uh, in the Quran very clearly. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of, uh, of uh, it's very clear. So I'm glad that you've come to that conclusion. And I agree with your, your conclusions generally. That's another aspect that the amongst the Shia, because Shia are a wide variety of different belief sets. You know yourself. So there are some Shia who are essentially identical to the Sunnis, except they have this issue with the, the successorship after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And but then there are some who are on the other extreme, which you know say that uh, the there is a there are imams who have the knowledge of the unseen, who control all the atoms of the earth, who have all of the keys of the ghayb. Um, and these, and this is another extreme where you're essentially giving all lots and lots of qualities of Allah to to human beings. Uh, but the question is actually, what do you do with the normal people? Because you're asking the question: Well, there are lots of we see lots of Muslims going to graves and praying to graves or, or at graves. We see lots of so these are so these are so there's a couple of things there. First, these are lay people, and the, what they what what the what comes down to them is actually what is what do they know and what do they understand? Who's taught them and what the, what are they taught? Because this is how they were essentially going to be judged and going to be treated. So, when the when the scholars speak about Shiism and what they say is that they don't regard the general Shia population to be out of Islam. They don't regard this to be the case. But the scholars of the Shia who know better, who have the knowledge, 
they say, yeah, they do regard them to be out of Islam. And so what we can't do is, uh, although I agree with your sentiment that, yes, there are people who are not doing the right thing by going through the grave, this, they need to be educated and and brought out from that, just like you educated yourself, alhamdulillah. But we can't go to that extent that where they would we would put them out of the fold of Islam. So we have to sort of understand who is that is doing these things and what's their knowledge base. Um, but yeah, generally, I agree with that. Alhamdulillah, you've, you've made uh, big steps and may Allah increase you in that. Yeah, that no, no, I, 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 yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. Um, the, but I, I guess my question more around, I know there's some, as in, apart from the Salafi sect, I, I don't know what other sects don't do du'a to the Prophet, right? It, it's, it's not really about facts, to be honest with you. So the, the, the way we look at this is, what does Ahlul Sunnah say? The body of the ulama in Islam, traditional Sunni Islam. What you're asking about is something very specific known as istirata. Like when you say, for example, Ya Ali, Madad, O Ali, help me, right? This is something common that the Shia people would call out for. It's a, it's a habit that they've developed in their own culture. We say that such a thing is not permissible whatsoever, and we don't condone it. There might be, like I said, people on the periphery of Sunni Islam who encourage people to do this. But if you go back through the writings of the scholars, this was not a common practice. It is not something which is encouraged. And the very fact that you don't find this as a common practice among general Sunni Muslims should tell you that. I'll give an example. You go to Turkey, you go to uh, 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 Algeria, Tunisia, you would not hear them say, Ya Muhammad Madad. You would not hear them say this, right? So this is not a habit that is encouraged by the Prophet It's not one commanded or encouraged by his companions either. So if they did not have this practice, and we find it later on, by some minor groups, this is not an evidence for us that we should take from them. We should stick to what the companions of the Prophet practice. Yeah. So in this case, they never instructed us to pray to anyone other than Allah. You would never find them commanding this. In your own study of the Quran, have you seen that the Quran encourages us to pray to anyone other than Allah to seek help? No, 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 no way. Exactly. That, 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 that's why it's watertight, the Quran, right? Um, and, and to be honest, when I do speak to people about this topic, there's one thing they always mention to me. And because my knowledge on different scholars isn't that great, I'm unable to answer that, right? And what they say to me is, well, before Ibn Timiyah came into the picture, this was uh, this concept of Istagatha was practiced by Muslims everywhere. And there's no evidence of this. I'll, be, I'll just be direct with you. This is not an argument to be had because there is no evidence of this. Like I said, there's an easy way to you can look at this. You can go through the creeds that the Fuqaha have written because they would often write poems to describe our aqidah, what we hold to. And you will never find them say that, yes, we call upon the prophets or we call upon the companions. This is not something written there. So this is a polemic about Esterato, which we don't accept. You would do yourself a favor by going through any of the, the former diet of the Sunni schools, and you will not find that it is compulsory 
or farud or even sunnah to do such a thing. You would actually find the opposite, that either it is haram, outright forbidden, or in very specific cases, on very specific conditions, by very few people, they might have practiced it, but it's not condoned for the rest of us. So that's it. Did, we leave it. Did, yeah, did, did you happen to have, uh, to be honest, when they use that argument against me, uh, you know, I don't even know what to say. So if I just had a couple of us names of scholars who before who came before Ibn Tamiya, who also said we shouldn't be doing that, then that'll just end the argument for them. Because then I can say, well, yeah, there are. There's X and Y, and they're quite big, so that claim is false. So do you happen to have any? At the top of my head, not at the moment. However, <laughs> however, <laughs> uh, I, I can just bring up a reference quickly. If you want, I'll just drop one in the chat. But I'm saying well, to you, sorry, I just wanted to say that I'm a little bit concerned about the... Um, being involved in these types of discussions on a, on a long-term basis. Uh, so how what, how do you find yourself in these situations, uh, Roman? What's going on? Um, sorry, what do you mean? Like you're saying that you're... Because I don't want you to be... Personally, I don't want you to be in a situation where you're debating these things day in, day out. I think you're going to waste a lot of your time and you're going to... Um, uh, ultimately, because you're you sound like a young guy, relatively, and I'm sure you are, and so potentially there's a lot of impact you can make on the ummah if you guide your energy and your focus specifically on trying to gain skills and knowledge that will be a positive impact. One thing that often is wasted amongst the youth is that they they get into these sort of disputations that can take that these have been going on from for you know hundreds of years that won't actually get anywhere essentially because. These these topics can be actually quite complicated. Um, you know, seeking help and how you can seek help. Uh, can I can I ask my friend for help? Is that if I go to a bus and say, a bus, could you help me with, you know, fix my car?" This is a type of seeking help. But am I? But he's a, a person that's alive and that I can access. How different is that from then going to maybe the grave of the prophet, peace be upon him, and saying, asking the prophet at that place uh, to? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Do you understand? Or oh, then what about if there's someone who's died and they're pious, but they're far away? Can I ask them for so there are there, there are different layers and different answers to the different means of seeking help. So the, so w these debates are usually about the grey areas within these discussions because they're quite clear. Certain things I, you can do, certain things you can't. Uh, Dr. Yeah. I would point out here that yeah. there's a confusion in his question between istirata and tawassal, right? So tawassal, the 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 Klimbud ibn Taymiyyah is different. The Klimbud ibn Taymiyyah is that before him, it was generally permissible to say, oh Allah, I ask that you benefit me by the good deeds of the Prophet, something like this, right? I'm not saying that that is what it is exactly, but that is tawassal. What you're asking for is seeking help from the dead other than Allah, and this is something specific known as istirata, and in general, it's impermissible. So there's, even in the claim that was made, there was something incorrect there. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 the, point, so. the point really being is, um, do you don't want to you don't want to spend your because you've read the Quran, it's clear you understand this. Maybe become somebody who is able to then uh, have an impact in terms of teaching the people around you in a scholarly way um, with with that scholarly knowledge that you've gained from from sitting with the scholars to then make a really big impact amongst the youth and their families because ultimately, if you make grassroots grassroots changes. 
it'll have a really positive impact. Otherwise, a lot of your energy is going to be taken up into this. And this can actually, it can lead, it can open the gateway of stepping away and forgetting even the things that are important and the faraiz to do them because you're disputing over, you know, things that may have many gray areas. Do you understand the point that I'm making? Don't be, I don't want you to be stuck in this cycle of, I'm going to debate this. No, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And to be honest, I've been in this cycle for quite some time. And yeah. the, the reason I've been in this cycle, right, is because I just feel like I've been lied to, right? And I find it furiating that something that's so clear in the Quran, how dare my scholars lie to me about this issue when, in fact, this could send me straight to hell because God won't forgive me for shirk. He might forgive me for a lot of other things, but not this one deed. So I feel like the reason I'm so involved in this subject now is because it's my duty now to inform my other brothers who are yeah. doing this that they shouldn't be doing it. Otherwise, I, I, on the day I, of I judgment... Get, yeah, I get, it, I get it. So what I would say is, get academic. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, don't keep it on the street and yo, bro, and get academic. Go and find, like the brother Ijaz was saying to you, uh, to the previous brother, f uh, find a local uh, area, a local imam in the area who's teaching from the the sources. Sit down with them, learn the arguments, learn the reasoning, learn the ayahs, learn the hadith, learn the process of how to think about this and the history of Islam and even Ibn Taymiyyah. Learn the history of these things. So then you're speaking from a, a place of knowledge and security and certainty, and then you can turn that rage into because this might be a positive thing. You know, Allah tests us and the tests make you stronger. And it might be that this is the journey you needed to be on, Brother Ramon, to make you that person who's going to be the, the impactful person of the future. So to reverse it, but these people were doing this. Okay, alhamdulillah, I'm going make dua to Allah that he makes you the person who helps to uh, bring other people away from this in the future, inshallah. And then you, inshallah, then you, step, yeah. onto that, you, step, on, you step on that, um, you step on that journey uh, towards this. So you make a, a goal. Um, and then you set a target and you start walking towards it rather than walking on a treadmill and, you know, not going anywhere. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see what angle you're coming from, um, from yeah. an academic perspective. So what I want to see is in, what I want to see in like six years time, uh, Brother Sheikh Rahman, can we invite you onto our stream so that you can explain this intricate matter that the brothers are asking about? And you say you can come on with the, with the learning and knowledge you've gained over the last three, four, five, six years sitting with the scholars and say, you know, yes, brothers, I can explain this because my own journey is this and I, this motivated me to do this. And so this is where you have to make yourself and make a sincere in intention, inshallah, of walking in the path of Allah, of, of gaining knowledge and become someone who then is a benefit to the Alhamdulillah, brother uh, uh, Isaac Adams is saying the same thing. Become that person who makes the change because you, you young, you, you got people who are young now, you're the next generation of da'eeds, of scholars, and we need you to step up into that role. And because of your passion, I can hear the passion. And because you're, this is something that affects you, then please step into that and learn and become that person from that who speaks from knowledge that people will respect and because of their reputation and the knowledge that they're coming with. Inshallah, yeah. No, Inshallah. Thanks, thanks, thanks for your kind words. Much appreciated. Yeah, yeah and I'll definitely do that. Brother Ramon, you know, mashallah, just be very happy and pleased that Allah, mashallah, guided you to the truth. Because, like you said, you know, to, be, to to worship anything other than Allah or to besiege anything other than Allah for help, is this is shirk, right? So, alhamdulillah, Allah saved you. Be happy, be pleased with that. And like Dr. Imran said, mashallah, this could be a door opening of mercy for the people because you, your, your passion, you take it forward and you don't just 
use it to argue, but you, uh, you know, become an academic within this, uh, within this mashallah, uh, uh, you know, um, part of, of, of Islam, right? Where you can debate and discuss and help many other people. The other thing, Brother Rahman, you know, I, I keep things very, very simple, you know. Which scholar said this? Which scholar? When it comes to sort of major issues, major things that could potentially be dangerous, I'm not talking about minor, major issues. Did the Prophet ﷺ tell the people, uh, uh, pray to Allah, when you pray, pray to me as well, ask me for help as well? The Prophet was alive at the time. Did he ask yeah. the companions to do that? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, that's my I mean, standard. You know, so when he was alive, he didn't ask them to do that. When the Prophet, peace be upon him, was taken to the heavens, when he was lifted, when he was when he passed away, would it then be okay then to to, to pray to the Prophet sallallahu and ask the Prophet directly for help as if he's there listening to you? I think this is quite sort of clear. So, inshallah, may Allah help you with your journey, make things easy yeah. for you. I think brother um, um, has put something on whatever you worship. Sorry, I've just. Uh, but anyway, I'm sure whatever you worship, other than other than him, other than him. Uh, are nothing but names you have coined, you and your father uh, coined, you and your fathers. Allah has sent down no authority for them. Sovereignty belongs to none, but Allah, he has ordained uh, that you shall not worship anyone but him. This is the only right path, but most of the people do not know. So just follow this, mashallah, alhamdulillah, then you're safe, right? Now let's say for argument's sake, there was some leeway on asking in some particular way that somebody might come up come up with, let's say, for argument's sake, right? The fact is it's a doubtful matter. You stayed away from it. You you went for the explicit teachings, mashallah, of the Quran. You're safe. And that's the key. Keep yourself safe, mashallah. But Brother Ramon, jazakallah khair for coming on. And we want to see you in a few years' time and invite you to join the panel with when we have this discussion and we want you to be one of the scholars, uh, <laughs> uh, the senior scholar out of all of us so we can refer to inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> yeah, inshallah. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Brother Omar, we're going to get you on next, inshallah. Uh, that's lovely. You can leave your camera on or you can turn it off. Brother Omar, welcome to the stream. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam. First of all, just before I begin, I just say a question. I just want to say, um, may Allah increase these brothers who called in and may Allah increase you all in knowledge Amen. and give you a high place in Jannah. Ameen. Uh, also, so my question is basically, uh, what are your reasons to believe Islam Islam is the truth and uh, reason the reasons that anyone can check to and then they make their own mind up? So for me, fundamentally, the living miracle that we have, which claims to be a miracle, is the Qur'an. And when we scrutinize the Qur'an in as much uh, of our cap capability and ability to, to sort of question it, to, 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 sort of, uh, to uh, scrutinize why it's a miracle, why is it unique, why is it... Uh, something that, as the as Allah says in the Quran, it has the inimitability challenge that you cannot better it, equal it, bring something like it. What is that challenge? And Alhamdulillah, when we look at that challenge, what we what we realize is that Subhanallah, this is a remarkable, remarkable uh, book, and the only explanation of this book. Uh, sorry, that's my cat. I don't know if you can hear it in the back there. Uh, th this is the only explanation that one can come up with. 
And then we establish that it claims to be preserved and we can establish through evidence now with manuscript evidence, carbon dating, but more importantly, with the oral tradition. And as a consequence, whatever therefore that text tells us, because we've now linked it to the creator, we've established its preservation, whatever it then tells us is the truth. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is a messenger sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is true. There are angels. That is true. There are jinn. That is true. There is the last day. That is true. All of these things are true now. Why? Because you have verified and confirmed the source to be from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you've confirmed that it's preserved. Now, all of the other things that people might bring like the brother brought earlier, you know, this concept of the age of Aisha or the prophet marrying such and such, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, marrying one of our mothers or whatever, whatever it might be, or, the, you know, sacrificing or doing this or doing that or Ramadan, whatever it might be. If it upsets your iman, if it starts to uh, undermine your iman, then understand that because you verified the Quran, you verified its preservation, it's your lack of understanding or the lack of explanation that's causing that problem. It itself cannot have a problem any longer. And once you once you internalize that, mashallah, everything becomes really easy. Any doubtful matter becomes a limitation of your own understanding, a limitation of the one who explained it to you. But it cannot be wrong in itself. And it sorts out so many problems like that. But I don't know if, uh, what do you think, Brother Omar, about that strategy? And Dr. Imran and, and Ijaz, please do come in there as well. Um, to be honest, Brother Abbas, I, I do, I do, I may understand where you're coming from. But as a person, like, I'll talk about myself as a person who really is not learned, who doesn't understand, I don't claim to have the knowledge. Uh, how, how do I know where the truth starts and where the truth begins and who decides what the truth is? Well, no, what do you I mean by that? What do you mean by that, brother yeah, Umar? Yeah. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm going to correct myself. I mean, how can I, um, how can I, um, how can I know what the truth is? How can I uh, make know that it is the truth and and the other things compared to it are falsehood? How how do you how do you think you could know that? Um, basically, there's maybe an example I can give. Like some, there's three people, uh, and uh, one of them is a, is a is sorry two of them are liars and one of them is telling the truth uh contradictions if i see contradictions in what they're saying i can know which one is lying and which one is telling the truth this is okay. maybe an example but i don't i i don't know so i think that one honest. of the so i don't think you should underestimate your own ability to discern truth i don't think you should do that um because I think that's a fundamental human capability. We can we can we have the ability to reason and work things out. If you're a theist, atheists don't 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 have they can't make claim to have this ability because materialism does not explain rationality. Because evolution is not a truth does not evolve truth seeking as a part of its um, outcomes. It's not it's driven for survival, not for truth seeking. So the first thing is you have to give yourself. And I want to treat you like you you know you're a theist. For me, it doesn't make sense that what we have around us could have just come from without there being a creator behind it. I see order. I see intricacy. I see things that are valuable things. I see moral 
rights and wrongs. I see justice and injustice. I see good, I see evil. All these are claims that are not based in empiricism and materialism. I see value in people and I, I see purpose in people and things. And none of these things can be explained with a materialist atheistic mindset. So there has to be a creator. Because I see order around me, because I see things are uniform, because I see that there is a uh, a very intricate way that the world is built, this this creator can't be, there can't be multiple of them. Because if, if one of these creators wanted the sun to come up on one on the east and the other one wanted to put the sun to come up on the west, w- which one would win? There w- would be chaos. So we would be seeing all sorts of things happening. You know, you just watch one of these uh, Marvel, Marvel movies where, you know, the... Doctor Strange is turning everything inside out. It, it would be like this, you know. The you're taking a step here, and the, the, the sun is now underneath you, and that that tree is now water, and it would just be chaos. Why? Because there are these different worlds that are competing. The fact that we have uniformity has to be one will, has to be one creator. Then you, so that what does that allow you to do? You you look at the, all of the available uh, uh, options of religions. These people believe there are multiple gods. Okay, I can put that to one. The whole group I can put to one side. Why? Because that doesn't fit with what I observe. Multiple beings having wills to be able to change how the universe works, but the universe is uniform, that doesn't fit with that. So then you're left with really religions that claim either there is uh, one one being. And then you look at these these claims, whoever they may be. Oh, I'm a Buddhist. You don't even believe in God. Okay, so I can put, I can put you to one side. You know, you have wonderful philosophy and everything, but actually it doesn't make sense that everything that we have around us wasn't created. So you put them to side. You look at uh, religions like uh, Christianity, one God, yes, three persons, sorry, one God in three persons, okay, uh, and the God came and died, God, sorry, God died, okay, I'm going to put that to one side, you know, I'm not even going into this, I'm just giving you an oversurface, you put the, you put the, you know, unpreserved nature of the, of the um, text to one side, etc. You look at Judaism, yeah. Because we are an ethnic people who God has chosen, we are better, and only we receive revelation. You know, you, you ethnic, an ethnic claim to have be the only people that receive religion makes God into a racist. Is this what you believe God is like? No. So you put that to one side. And really, if you if you went through this eliminative process over time, you'd come to the idea, the understanding that, you know, God is one. Uh, there is a, a uniquely one. There is nothing like him. Not part of the creation or not the creation we uh, he would give revelation you, you can look at the quran the brother abbas was saying and you check that it's preserved yes we have preservation in two modes orally and manuscript evidence you look at the, the what is the quran talking about what exactly what you said brother Omar. no contradictions you check for contradictions you won't find any then you look further into this and it's talking about the quran is itself somehow a miraculous in nature read read the works of tom and michael farin read the works of um, um, so yeah, Professor Farron, you read the works of Michael Kuypers. All of these people have looked into the, the the grammatical structure of the text of the Quran. They will tell you that this, the way this book is compiled, looking at its history, it's it's probably it's it's improbable for a human being to come up with it. Then you read about the life of the Prophet peace be upon him, an illiterate man who was known to be honest, who uh, who claimed to have received a message from the Creator, and this was this message. It was so eloquent that even the prophets of his time could not compete with this. And when you look at the the texts that were bought um, the, and the way that they were revealed, 
how could a literate man bring something you know, this this eloquent and this precise and this profound? And what is this text calling you to? Worship God alone, protect yourself from the evils of the world. That, you know, don't uh, have immoral sexual relations, don't uh, dealing interest because it destroys societies. Don't deal in uh, anything that addicts you because it affects uh, destroys the societies you know give people their just rights even if it's against yourself always speak the truth when you look at these things then really you're left what you're left with is uh, a really pr a profound comprehensive uh, r uh system that's produced for you that refers you back to the one creator and, and it fits consistently with everything else that can that can take a long time to do all of this process i'm telling you so i've run over it in a very superficial way but then I think you'll come to the conclusion that, yeah, this is where I am and I stand is true. So you have to have some basic foundations that then you then test things against. But first you have to develop your foundations because if you have no foundations, anything can be true. You know, I have no way of determining the truth and well, then take a seat because you're not going to get there. First, you have to say, I have God, has, I have been given the ability to determine truth. And I can reason and rationally come to that truth. And then you can make headway. But if you start with the pre premise, you know, I, I can't tell, I won't be able to tell what's true is, then you're, this is not a journey for you, maybe. Does that, does that make sense, Brother Umar? I know I've talked a lot there. Uh, alhamdulillah, thank you, Brother Imran. But uh, you said something about the foundations. Is I I try to look for contradictions, not in the Quran, but like, I mean, I have the maybe a foundation of trying to look for contradiction. Are there any foundations you could recommend to me? <clears throat> what do you mean? Uh, what specific? Our foundations for looking for the truth. So when you say truth, what you you believe in the creator? You believe in the creator? Yeah, but brother Omar, what what have you looked at so far that you found unsatisfactory? What have you been looking at? Oh uh, no, I'm I'm not uh, I'm I'm not unsatisfied. I'm Alhamdulillah, I'm a Muslim. I'm just trying to strengthen. I'm trying to strengthen my iman, and I'm trying to make sure what I'm what the religion I'm in is the truth. Do you do you believe the Quran is from Allah? Um. Yes. Do you believe, uh, why, do you believe why, Hold up. Why did you start so there? Yeah. Uh, because I'm not. Because I I'm not learned. I I I I don't I don't know how. I I can't confirm but the, because I don't have is, the knowledge. But from what I've seen so far, I believe the Quran is the truth because from what I've what I've seen so far, like for example, the Rosetta Stone claiming hold that, up. that, Be, that bef uh, before you move on, hold on. Okay, that was a car crash. Let's let's go back a little bit here. Brother Omar, are you a Muslim? Yes. Like, why is there that long pause? What, what is there holding you back from answering these questions? So let me just test this out. Brother Abbas, are you a Muslim? Yes. The pause okay. was only because I had to unmute myself, there. not because I had to unmute Okay, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me try this with Dr. Iman. Dr. Iman, are you a Muslim? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I'll take that as a yes, right? Brother Omar, has someone deceived you into thinking you can't answer definitively yes to these questions? Like, like I'll, I'll just put it straight to you here. There should be no uh, doubt in your voice because you must have a keen certainty on two things, that there's no God other than Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger, right? 
you should have no doubt about these two things. And yes, a bastard take it's the answer. The question yeah, is, did you, exactly if you take mouse and I can go to the unmute and unmute myself? Okay. That's why. Okay, but but was the age nine years old? That, that's the question there. Okay, Omar, stay stay with us here, brother. Recite the shahada for me. Can you recite the shahada for me? Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika la, wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. Good. Say that with conviction, okay? You should not have doubt, reticence about answering these questions. What are the six articles of faith? Do you remember them? The six pillars, you mean? Six articles of faith. There are six things we must believe in. Amantu uh, billahi wa... Do you know this one? To be honest, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not learned it in Islam. Okay. I know so, they may be the basics, but I may not know them. So this is from the basics, right? Your five pillars, six articles of faith. If if this is what you're unfamiliar with, then you need to attach yourself to an institute, a scholar, because these are very basic things. If you're unfamiliar with them, there is a book by, uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to leave the references to Brother Ambassador Dr. Imran, but there was a book on the basics of Islam by uh, Doctor, uh, sorry, by Sheikh Faraj Rabani, on an introduction to Islam, I think, it gives you a basic foundation. But it seems like that's what you need. How, do you attend any classes, Omar? Uh, yes. And you, okay. I need to talk to the teacher of these classes. That brother, Bas Doctor Iman, take it from here, please. Uh, it's, uh, just I wouldn't say, brothers. One second, Omar, brothers. Um, I've just taken my medication for the no night, problem. so it, I, I have maybe forty-five minutes left. Maybe no, less. No time. problem. Sure. Yes, please go ahead. So, brother Umar, my question to you was: Do you believe that the Quran is from Allah? Do you believe that it's a miracle? And if you're unsure about it being a miracle, then have you looked at why it's a miracle? Um, I, I believe it's. I believe it's. I believe it's from Allah. Uh, so far because of the information I've had so far like for example I believe in the Quran it calls the the king at the time of jo Yusuf salam a king not a pharaoh so and when you look at the Rosetta Stone who he, he was a king at the time of Yusuf salam so I'm not yeah, sure that's, how that's one of the very that's to be fair that's probably amongst the let's say weakest of signs i would say if one can say weakest because there are much much i mean i'm saying weakest in terms of polemics i'm not to every argument in the quran every verse in the quran every word in the quran is a miracle i'm not saying that but i'm simply saying that okay guys enough with the jokes i had to unmute myself that took me like a few seconds to get the mouse and find the microphone and what have you alhamdulillah i have no doubts don't stop making short videos of boss couldn't answer whether he's okay. So the the point I'm trying to make to you, brother, is there are there are objective evidences. This particular one, when you mentioned about the uh, king and the thing, this is a historical thing. One could argue from a polemics side of things that okay, he guessed it correctly. One could argue that, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that makes it a miracle. It just it's it's quite astonishing that the prominent view was uh, Pharaoh, 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 and the Quran seemed to get the historical context correct and say king when it was king and Pharaoh when it was Pharaoh. But in itself, that's not the miracle. I'm going to just read something very, very quickly to you. I think Dr. Ranz has read it. I've read it as well before. I think it's a really good uh, 
Let me have a look here. So this is Brother Hamza Zorsis, I think, came up with this um, way of putting it. And it's about the smallest chapter in the Quran, Surah Al-Kawthar. So it just reads, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Inna atainaka al-Kawthar, fasalli li rabbika wanhar, inna shaniyaka huwa al-abtar. It's a very, very small surah, the smallest chapter in the Quran, right? Now, this is the inimitability challenge, just about the grammar of the Quran, right? It says, take 10 words in any language, formulate it into three lines or verses, and add any proposition or linguistic particle you see fit. Produce at least 27 rhetorical devices and literary features. At the same time, ensure it has a unique structure, a timeless, meaningful, and is timeless, meaningful, and relates to themes within a book that is part of the size uh, of the of which is 70,000 words. Make sure four of its words are unique and never used again in the book. Ensure each line or verse ends with a rhyme created by words with the most optimal meaning. Make sure that these words are used only once in the three lines and not used anywhere else in the book. Ensure that the three lines concisely and eloquently, semantically mirror the chapter before it and they must formulate a profound response to an unplanned set of circumstances. You must use 10 letters in each line and 10 letters only once in the entire three lines. Throughout the whole piece, make sure you produce sema uh, semantically orientated rhythm without sacrificing any meaning. Do all of the above publicly in one attempt without revision or amendment in the absence of any formal training in eloquence or rhetoric. Impossible as the above may seem, this is exactly what the Quran achieved in its shortest chapter, Al-Kawthar, the abundance. And it was expressed through Prophet Muhammad wasallam who was not known to have composed any poetry nor cultivated any special rhetorical skills. Now, this is the shortest chapter in the Quran. The entire Quran has these types of miracles within it. Now you have to ask the question, a book that is revealed, often circumstantially, something, an event is happening, somebody's asking a question, some verses are revealed, chapters not in any order, verses not in any order, multiple chapters and verses from multiple parts of the Quran being, re being revealed simultaneously at the same time sometimes, right? And then you have to ask the question, no editorial process. No book compiled at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Just an oral, memorized tradition that was given. And then you have a book written by Professor Raymond Farin that talks about structural elements of the Qur'an. So apart from these miracles that I've just told you, the, the way that the Qur'an was revealed and you know how these letters are only used once and these words are each surah, each chapter has at least two or three unique words only in that chapter, and they don't repeat themselves ever again in other chapters. Okay, and then you have, as I say, the structural elements by Professor Raymond Farin, who himself was a non-Muslim when he investigated the Quran and realized that the structure of chiasm, parallelism, concentrism, the concentric ring patterns 
was so complicated that he accepted Islam. So what I'm saying to you is that when the Quran challenges, bring something like it, and then you talk about historical things, doesn't get his, history wrong, gets it right all the time, despite the norms of society arguing something else, the Quran sometimes argues differently to that. And it's only later that it's proven, as you say, when Rosetta Stones or other historical points are found out, documents or whatever parchment inscriptions are found out, it turns out the Quran is actually right. Even though the people mocked the Prophet Muhammad at the time, sometimes the non-Muslims, that you got that wrong because they're claiming this, they're claiming something different. Now, when you accumulate all of that, and I've just, as I say, Dr. Ch said he touched on the surface. I've only touched on the surface as well. There's so much more. Subhanallah, right? Could, could I just give one, a simple Please. one for everyone? Just remember the reference 567. Surah 5, Ayah 67 of the Quran. The Prophet is commanded to proclaim the message of Islam. And there's a promise made here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would protect the Prophet This was at a time when the people wanted to execute him, to kill him, to assassinate him. Now, to my knowledge, Brother Omar, was the Prophet assassinated? No, I don't think no. so. No, the answer is no. Did anyone stab him? Did that? No. In whose arms did he die? Uh, uh, the mother of the believers. Uh, Aisha the... Exactly, right? So here is the thing. Here is the Prophet ﷺ being commanded to proclaim this, not just the Quran, but this ayah announcing that he will be protected by Allah and not by human beings. Right? Why was it not possible for the pagans to execute him? In all the battles that they had, he was not killed. Of all the assassins that they could hire, he was not killed. So here's the thing. If, if the American president came out and said, I have to announce, God has told me, that the secret service would no longer protect me, he makes himself a target. Because the Prophet does the same exact thing at a time when the Sahaba were going to spare their lives to save him. And he was not killed. So you ask me for a proof, I give you a simple one. Five, six, seven, zero, five, six, seven. That's the book I'm talking about. It's uh, Structure and Quranic Interpretation. It's by Professor Raymond Farin, as you can see. It's uh, a study of symmetry and coherence in Islam's holy text. Now, the, 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 um, the structures of these ring patterns within the text are so complex that he himself became Muslim over it. He did a PhD in uh, classical Arabic uh, uh, poetry and studied the Qur'an. There are so many cases like this. You look at, for example, Umar, the miracle of uh, preservation through oral tradition. Why is it that a five-year-old in China or a five-year-old in America or a five-year-old in Kenya, all of whom are not Arabs, cannot speak Arabic, but are only taught how to read Arabic, can memorize a book that's over 600 pages in a language that they don't even understand. And I would say that if you looked at that carefully, you'd have to say that's a remarkable thing for five or 10 or even 50 people to achieve. But here we have tens of millions of people who've memorized the entire book, 80% of whom 
Muslims are not Arabs. And the predominantly, most of them do not speak Arabic. So the miracles are so great, uh, Omar, uh, that one has to then say that when we add all of these concepts, these miracles on top of one another, it becomes inconceivable to come up with an explanation other than the fact that this is outside the capacity of any human being, outside the capacity of any jinn, outside the capacity of anything. Why? Because we also have prophecies in the Quran where Allah talks about things that are going to happen that end up happening, even if those things are counterintuitive. In other words, something else was expected to happen, was highly likely to happen, but the Quran argued something different to that. And in fact, it was that that was happened. That happened. It was the unlikely event, the counterintuitive event that took place. When we add all of these things together, it becomes without any doubt that this is indeed as it claims to be from Allah, the mighty, a mighty message, a weighty message for human beings. We look at the preservation. We look at the works of Professor Angelica Newith. Uh, there's also a Van Putin, I think. Uh, I can't remember. What's his first name? I keep forgetting his first name. Marine, but put him aside. For you. For better. Not a problem. But you, you look at the works of Angelica Newith. You look at the works of, uh, you know, you look at the martial, the extensive works that have been done even within the Muslim world on manuscripts, on the Salah manuscripts, on the oral tradition, for example. And you have to then ask the question, Omar, if a man next to you, suddenly said, I'm a prophet and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm getting these verses and they're a miracle and it's in the English language and this English language is something that nobody can better. Nobody can equal my words in English. Nobody can actually better them. Nobody can bring anything like it. Nobody can bring anything better than it. I'm going to reinvent a, a gr grammatical system of constructing the language that's going to be unique to English. In fact, my language is going to become the pinnacle of eloquence and all English from now on is going to refer to my English that I'm going to come up with. And by the way, I've got no linguistic uh, experience, no training in rhetoric, nothing. And I'm going to be answering questions live and I'm going to be uh, referring to things that are unfolding in front of me. And I'm going to have no editorial process. It's going to be a one hit wonder. I'm going to say it. It's going to be recorded and it's not going to be in order. It's going to be all basically to the onlooker jumbled up over 23 years. Yeah. Would I ever be able to achieve that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would say. Uh, I said no, sorry. Yeah, because people would immediately say, your English isn't as good as mine. Look, his English is better. His English, is, his poetry is better. His his storytelling is better. His eloquence is better. You know, it's all, of course, there'd be a massive difference of a, at the very least. I might have a few buddies that will agree with me. The vast majority of people clearly will not agree with me. Yet when the Prophet came with the Quran, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the best poets of the time, the most eloquent, the celebrated of Arabia were scratching their heads, could not understand where he's getting these words from, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And in fact, they said their best to find out. And they came back. They said, "We, I need some time to think. 
He couldn't even come up with an answer. It was so eloquent, so beautiful, so incredible. The words were amazing. He comes back after a couple of days and he says, look, the only thing I can say, these words are magic. It's supernatural outside of the car. Now, when you study this, Omar, and that's what I urge you to do, study. We don't study enough. And I include myself in this. I'm not criticizing you. I say to myself first, we need to study more. When we look at these things, mashallah, your iman will become so strong that this Quran could not be from anyone or anything else. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is preserved. Now when it talks about it being the truth, it being from Allah, it telling you what you should do, what you should not do, follow the Prophet, that the believers are the ones who follow Allah and follow his Prophet, then immediately everything becomes easy. But we need to study. So what I'd urge you to do, inshallah, um, get that book, read it. It's a very short, it's not a very big book, to be fair. Uh, that's the picture of the chap, Professor Raymond Farron. I don't think he's probably can't see it. It's too small. But, um, you know, get that book. Have a little read. Um, and there are so many other things I could go into in, in terms of the way that the Quran uses it, linguistics, uses it. You know, it uses words that the Arabs never used. In other words, I'd have to come up. If I was claiming such a thing, I'd have to invent words in the English language that could be fully understood but were never used by people. People never use those terms. So, for example, when Allah says, Asr, Allah says that, uh, I swear by time. The Arabs said, what is this swear by time? This term, swear. We understand the words, but we never use the words in this way. Who, who, who gives an oath? Who, who swears by time? It's so eloquent. It was so beautiful. It was so amazing and so powerful. The owner of the day of judgment. What is this owner of a, the, the day of judgment? They never used terms like So the Quran came with new terms that were powerful that Arabs never used. They didn't, they knew the words often, or they knew the root of the word, but they could never, they could not fathom where these words were. They were shocked, they were dumbstruck. And this is why Islam spread in Arabia at the speed that it spread. Because when they heard the Quran, they were immediately convinced. They were immediately convinced that these are not his words. These are not the words of any jinn. Because they were, they were masters of eloquence. They celebrated two things at the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. They celebrated the birth of a boy and they celebrated the birth of a poet. The poet in the tribe was a powerful force. It was the way that you did propaganda. It was the way that you, uh, you know, you defeated other tribes without even lifting a sword. And in fact, poetry could be so strong that some Arab tribes would have to change their names because the poem against them was so, so strong and it was so damaging. And it was a time when these words were so powerful and eloquent and the rhetoric had reached its eloquence that the Quran came down and it challenged those very people and said, bring some, if you're truthful, bring a Quran like it. Bring 10 chapters like it. Bring one chapter like it. Surah Al-Kawthar, three verses, three lines, and they couldn't do it. And that's why Islam spread throughout Arabia, because when the Arabs heard it, they knew these are not the words of any man. They were truly, you know, truly unique the most eloquent, the first book in the Arabic language, the Quran. And the Arabic language itself, the, 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 the way of eloquence, of measuring eloquence, all was referred to, to the Quran from then on. 
because that was the most eloquent way of writing the language. All of this from a man in a desert in the seventh century who was known as a shepherd, who was known to be illiterate, who could not read or write, and he comes with this Quran, subhanAllah, right? So the evidences are huge, Brother Umar, but we need to study. Sorry, I've gone on quite a lot. I get overpassionate. I beg your pardon. But Umar, do you want to come back at all with that? Anything, inshallah? Uh, it's okay. Uh, alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for answering the question. I, I just want to say just a few last things, if that's okay. Uh, I want to apologize if I came in and caused any confusion. Not I genuinely came in not to ask all. questions. No, so no, I can not, not at all. Not at all. Okay. You don't need to uh, worry about that, inshallah. Okay. Um, also, what, when Brother uh, Ijaz said something about the articles of faith, did you mean like the 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 faith or the fa the pillars of faith or the iman pillars? I'm I'm confused. So this, brother, is, no, this is so. This is why Brother Ijaz was saying that um, it's really important to get the foundations really right. So we have the, you know, we have the um, the five pillars of uh, of iman. So you have so you have so you have the you have the five articles of the faith faith so you have the you have the shahada you have the uh, the salah you have the fasting you have the zakat and you have the hajj yeah but then there are six pillars of faith yeah and he gave you the beginning of the verse amantu billahi wa malaikatihi wa qutubihi you understand that remember that yeah and there were six articles of faith and those were the ones he was asking you about now, now, if you, no, I'm not trying to say anything about you personally. Just saying, but actually, this is something that is really on step one of the basics of learning about Islam. Most people who come into Islam, they read about you know, who are new Muslims who are learning about Islam. They will read about this: the five pillars of Islam and the six pillars of Iman. They will learn about this. And uh, what? And, and this is what the brother was asking about. The, the only indication that we get from that is that. We agree with you that the foundations that you have are probably not the strong foundations, which is why you're looking at other things such as, you know, oh, this Rosetta Stone was found. So imagine you lived in a time before the Rosetta Stone. Where would your iman be? Do you understand how weak that foundation is? Do you understand? Because say if that wasn't there, then what would it be then? So if you were born before the Rosetta Stone, sorry, go on, please. What What, what would you be? Thinking. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. I I, no, no, I just I just said I don't know. I'm God knows yeah. best. Yeah, I understand. So, but that tells you that where you've you've put your foundation on some artifact that someone happened to come across. Now there were people who believed in Islam way before any stones were found, and so there's so what you have to you have to come down to something. So you know when you're digging into the ground, everything is soft. Everything is soft, and then suddenly you come across something very hard. It's called bedrock. Bedrock is something that's so nothing will get you can't get through that really, and that's where you dig to, and that's where you would build your foundation from. So the bedrock is much more foundational. The bedrock is understanding why why you are Muslim is uh, knowing that there's good reasons to believe that Allah exists, knowing that there's good reasons to believe that the, uh, the Quran is from Allah, knowing there's good reasons to be the Prophet Muhammad is the messenger from Allah by knowing about him and knowing his lifestyle. His, his, about his life And there are many many examples that he will tell you That this is a sincere person And the Quran if you read into that Will tell you that it's something profound That people to this day do not understand How it came about And if you read about the times of the Prophet peace be upon him, How the people reacted to it 
um, really how they reacted to it. It will you it will give you a foundation that um, will will be so strong that nothing, all of the little leaves, things like stones, and you know that, that you don't need them because your foundation is much stronger. But the key is the the tawhid. So we have the belief in Allah, the pure monotheism, which not nothing can touch. Then you have the Quran itself, which is self evident in its in, it, in its origins. You know this has to come from Allah, and then you have the life of the Prophet peace be upon him. Just a simple reading of this will clarify for you that this person is definitely a messenger from Allah. And just by looking at the many, many examples in his life where advantage could be taken, but he, the Prophet upon him did the right thing always to ensure that the truth was always upheld, even if it was to his disadvantage. Now, those would be very strong foundations. And what my advice would be is actually probably to get try to get that from somewhere so what if you can if you want to email us we'll work out where you are we'll find somewhere local where you can connect with to get some of this teaching in so this is our email address on the screen so that we can uh, help you on this journey because i don't want you know in the west one of the things about western approach to anything is they they assume that you don't know nothing to start with and that everything else has to be proven and that the problem with that is how do you even know your thinking is something that is reliable to use and this is where people end up in this position where you were saying i don't know if it's true or not true how do i no you you have to give yourself something some basics that you have to understand that i am an intelligent person who can um you know arrive at truth and then you go on your journey and then once you're once we connect you with the local uh, community stick with the the muslims they will help you to guide you into that uh, place of certainty inshallah feel free to email us again come again and we're happy to sort of discuss further but really we want you to don't put your foundation on even a rosetta stone put it on the bedrock absolutely of the quran and the prophet muhammad absolutely omar jazakallah khair for coming on brother we've uh, got to get a lot of other guests on because they're waiting but uh, we do value uh, you coming on brother and don't feel that you know you've asked anything that's uh, been inappropriate it, it hasn't been and we're more than happy to have you on again inshallah okay of course jazakallah khairan lovely okay we're going to get brother khizar khan on next brother khizar if you could just uh, give us a wave inshallah uh, and then if you want to leave your camera on you can do so if you'd prefer to uh, turn it off you can do that as well uh, brother khizar welcome to the stream uh, yes uh, assalamu alaikum everyone where are you coming in from today? Where are you calling from? Uh, I am from India and I'm Alhamdulillah, I'm a Muslim. Alhamdulillah. And and I don't like usually have questions, but today I just uh, had questions, uh, something related to the history and the Quran. I just have like two or three questions. So no, uh, we might not be able to do all three, but why don't you ask your most important one? Dr. Imran, if you can please start, inshallah. Okay, okay. I will, I'll, I'll just start with the important one. Uh, the only important one was uh, there was an accusation of like a Sahabi that was a scribe during the times of the Prophet. And he apostatized, like he left Islam and he came back. So I don't know what is going on with that because people, the non-Muslims are like, oh, he was the first ex-Muslim or this or that. But I just wanted a clear opinion. Like, do you guys know about that? So, there, so there's a complication here because the story 
the, the name involved or attributed to the person, there is dispute about it altogether. But the mainline tradition goes that there was a companion who would write on behalf of the Prophet wasallam, And on one occasion, allegedly, um, the Prophet wasallam recited something to him and he, he asked the Prophet, well, does this sound better? Should I write this? The Prophet said, yes, you can read it that way as well. He said, well, about this yeah. way. And the Prophet said, yes, you can read it that way as well. So he left the religion thinking, well, if I can come up with, with things like this for the Quran, then maybe this man may not be a prophet at all. That's the allegation. Whether that yes, story no, is exactly. true or not, significant dispute about that. What there is almost no dispute about is that the same person recorded in all of Islamic history came back to Islam. So whatever doubt he, he had, he overcame. Yes, whatever doubt he had, he overcame if the initial story was true. Now, this goes back to one thing that all Muslims must know and remember, that the Quran is one revelation expressed in multiple recitations. So even at the time of the Prophet wasallam, a companion would bring another companion. I forget the narration. It's one of the four khulafa. I forget one. I, I think, think it was, was uh, Umar Khattab. Yeah, right. And he grabbed a companion by the neck and, and he complained to the Prophet this person is saying that you permitted or you gave him this recitation when you gave me this recitation. So which one is the right one? And the Prophet said both are correct. Right? So from our perspective as Muslims, which unlike other religions, we say the Quran is a text that is uh, uh, we would say it, there's one Quran, one revelation known as the Quran expressed in multiple recitations as authorized by the Prophet So that if that was the doubt raised by that person, they overcame that doubt and they returned to Islam. So that's done and settled. However, I think it's most likely Christians that make this claim. Am I correct or wrong? Mm, yes. It's Christians who make this claim, right? Christians yeah. who make this claim. Okay, okay. So go back and ask them a very, very simple question, okay? Yeah. If they consider this to be such a severe problem, and this was yeah. this a close companion of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Is this a major companion in the story that they give you? No, no, no. No, 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 no. But do, do you know this person called Judas Iscariot? Yeah, yeah. I know about he betrayed Judas. <laughs> and that's their hypocrisy. Yeah. But I this Vasvasa kind of Vasvasa, I know about the hypocrisy, but it's just while I'm in the prayer, it sometimes hit me like, oh, oh, I just I just have this thought. So, yeah, trust me, it's not something to be bothered by. And you already know the response to give them on this. The, but it comes down to something final, which is this. The Quran as we have it is not dependent upon a single individual other than the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. So a random person writing something, if we accept the Christian claim, let's say that this random person put something random in the Quran, even in the tradition that they're telling you, he asked the Prophet, could it be said this way? The Prophet said yes. He still had to go through the Prophet So they debunk themselves without realizing that they have a big problem in Christianity with the same thing. 
right? But this was thing, did Judas Iscariot, just for the sake of argument, did he come back to believe that Jesus was God? Not at all. He, they believe that he died in two ways. Yeah, he was dead, right? He has no choice to come back. So if you're, if you're a Christian watching the stream, do not throw stones <laughs> when you live in glass houses, particularly those made from glass in the Birmingham and these types of places. Brilliant uh, response. I, I, Thank you. That, that answered my question. Can I can I just move on to the second question? Or only if only if Brother Abbas permits you. If you're very quick, yes, but yes. make this the last one though, because we've got so many people waiting. I'd like to get everybody. Okay, okay. This this might be the last one. Uh, I just had the question, like it's about the Quran, and it's like two sub questions, so you can just answer it in small. Uh, I just uh, had to ask about. Uh, the number of days in which the earth was created, it is mentioned in the Quran. And this is a very common thing that people ask, oh, it's like two and it's four and then two, it's, it comes up to eight. This and the other thing is uh, some like scientific things. So can you just address that? Like in short so, you, so you've asked two questions. Dr. Imran, if you could quickly refer to those questions. Here, please, please, please. Quickly. Uh, even a small response. I, I don't want to get no, convinced. No, no, problem, no, no problem. No problem. Yes. So the, the the I mean you've you've said some scientific things which is you know that's like an probably a plethora of other questions but when people are making claims to you about um, the adding up days they they are usually making mistakes either about what is being counted or they're making the assumption that things are consecutive when they're not consecutive you understand so I'm giving you the principle so either so either something can be behind another thing or they can be overlapping. So things can be happening at the same time, and we people are usually either t either counting the wrong thing, or they're making a mistake in their counting, or they're they're assuming consecutive nature when it's not a consecutive uh, ayah. So unless you bring the ayah specifically, I, I'm just giving you the principle on how to deal with that. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, sir. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Alhamdulillah. You didn't mention any other scientific things, so I can't clarify. I one last that. that was the backbone thing that i heard any response to that because just a quick response yeah. that i can just i don't even want if to you, debate if you, i mean this is so if you look on ef tower there's actually a video specifically on this because we've been asked this question many times just look it up and we'll put the link up for you and also uh, you know 2006 i did a video response to this and it's available okay. on my old channel which is um foundational thoughts and you can look that okay. up as well very commonly asked question well and well well that's not your old channel. That's the channel you will be adding lots of content. To yes, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. This is an up-and-coming channel, inshallah, from 2006. <laughs> but if you, uh, okay. we'll put the link up now. Uh, one of the brothers will find it for you. So just look in the chat and you'll see it. And that's okay. the response to the specific question. So that way you know, because that's this is a very common uh, question. Don't let these things bother you. The, the principle yeah. is, the just general principle, if someone brings a scientific claim, science is an mm -hmm. ever-changing uh, model system where you make models of how the world works depending on your current basis of knowledge and that's yes. basically uh so you can't take something that's changing as an evidence to support something that is no, not, not at all not at all science i just don't want to be a scientific person i just wanted something for my waswasas that's what no problem Thank so you this so is sister aram as mashallah already uh may i reward her increase her she's already put up the link so you can click on that link inshallah that will give it to you but also on this channel as well you'll see a more uh, up to a more modern response to that, inshallah. Very quickly, Brother Khazar, these doubts yeah. that you're getting either from YouTube or from the internet, what I would advise yes. you to do is yeah. stay away from places that are designed to, they're set up 
to create doubt. They're not sincere places of knowledge. So therefore, stay away from these places. Now, Islam is not about don't ask tough questions and don't have debates and don't have polemics. No, no, we're, we're open to that. That's why we go to Speaker's Corner. That's why we do the open forum. That's why we've done the Christian, the, the historicity streams on the Bible, etc. We don't mind those tough questions, right? But the point I'm trying to make to you is if you don't have the knowledge or the time necessary, then stay away from these places until you do have the knowledge and you have the time necessary to be able to research these things in detail. Otherwise, what you will find is it will affect your iman. And yes, this, it does because... Right. This is why the ulama, the scholars tell us and we don't listen, you see. We should take their advice. Stay away from places that are designed to cause harm to your iman. It doesn't make sense to enter into a location, a place that is specifically designed to undermine your iman. It doesn't make sense to enter that place. If you're going to enter into the field of battle, you need to have the sword and the shield. You need to have the knowledge and you need to have the time, the ability to be able to enter that arena. If you go into a battle naked with the other people, all with arrows and swords around you, you know what's going to happen. Sorry, yes. can you? Ex- sorry, I, I don't follow. Can you explain to me what would happen? Well, you're, Ill, you're ill prepared. You clearly get <laughs> <laughs> right. that was a brilliant response. Thank you yeah. so much, sir. All right, Mashallah. so you have a good day, inshallah, yeah. brother, and, okay. and uh, speak to you soon. We're going to get um, uh, Rajda on next. Rajda, can I just, if you don't mind, just just quickly just see your face just uh, and interact with you, please. And then you can turn your... That's lovely. We'll get you on next. Uh, Abbas, can you do me a favor? Um, yeah. Before this the stream ends, yes. would I be allowed to give them the story of the cats at the house when I came over? Like the, 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 Yeah, yeah, no the, problem the at all. <laughs> no problem at all. Yeah, you're very scared of cats. Yeah. Okay, Rog, uh, Sister Roger, welcome to the stream. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum as sister. So I have a question about the death of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. In Surah Al-Haq, in the verses of um, forty-four to forty-six, it says that had the Messenger made up something in our name, we would have certainly seized him by his right hand, then severed his uh, aorta. Right. So meaning um, like they would like if the prophet lied or so did something that was not in the will of Allah, then maybe like the companions would like cut his aorta. Right. Not the companions. No, yeah. that Allah oh. would sever him by his aorta. Yeah, it says Allah so, would do it, not the companions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So and okay. but just quickly, Dr. Imran, if you sever the aorta, how quickly do you die after that? Within seconds. Seconds. Uh-huh. Okay, so still, please proceed with your question. Yes, and then it's in like in a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, it says that when uh, um, when Khaybar was conquered, a roasted poisoned sheep was presented to the Prophet as a gift by the Jews, and the Messenger of Allah said, let all the Jews who have been here be assembled before me. The Jews were gathered and the Messenger of Allah said, will you now tell me the truth if I ask you about something? They replied, yes. He asked, have you poisoned this sheep? This uh, sheep, they said, yes. And he asked, what made you do that? 
They said, we wanted to know if you were a liar, in which case we would have got rid of you and you are a uh, and if you are a prophet, then the poison would not harm you. And this is, I understand this, but the thing that confuses me is that when on his deathbed, uh, um, the prophet told complained about the pain. Sorry, sister, we can't hear you. Sister? Hello? Is it just yes. me? Oh, there we Hello? go. Yes. When oh, you, were, yes. You, were, you, were, you were stating that the Prophet, peace be upon him, expressed pain as if his aorta had been cut. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. So, so there's a difference between saying, I feel as if something is happening when uh -huh. it's not. Simply expressing that there is that he's experiencing severe you know, pain. I feel like my head is exploding, you know? Yeah. Or I feel like my, my neck, oh my God, is going to come out at any moment. So my, my stomach, oh my, it's so gassy, it might pop. We make these statements when we're in pain. Right, right, sister? But the thing is, let's say that what the Prophet said was true and correct, that he was feeling as if his aorta would be cut. Now, yes. he didn't die from uh -huh. what we can understand, from anything related to his aorta. Yes, I understand he died uh, in his ailment, so meaning sickness. But I sickness. just, it was, so it means like it was just an expression, right? Yes, that's our okay. general understanding. That the severity of the pain in that area is what he experienced. That is not to say, however, that his aorta had been cut, because as we read earlier from Dr. Imran, when you cut the air out, so you bleed out. The blood gushes out because it's a, it's a an air, so it's a high pressure vessel. Doctor Imran, my biologist, is good. I just want to quickly just say I just want to quickly say something, Sister Rojda. Well, I don't finish. I don't finish. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Which is, if it was actually true that he was dying because of something related to his aorta he would not have been able to know and experience that because he would have been dead by the time he even knew of it happening. If your aorta is cut, you die within seconds, you bleed out, you lose consciousness almost immediately. So we know with certainty this was not the state that he died in. Okay. Uh, do you understand? You. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Thanks. Does it help? Yes, I understand it now because I've heard a lot of people like giving this as an argument and I guess it made me like a bit confused. No, uh, Sister Rashid, said, this brother who's put this uh, comment up, he's not even Muslim. Yes. And he's giving you nasiya. Can you imagine that? Non-Muslim is saying people are listening to CP and anti-Islamic sites, this issue they, they use. He's recognizing the fact that it's anti-Islamic websites that are using this type of silly argument uh, to, yeah. try to, to try to confuse people. Again, I make my point, my sister, don't enter into locations that are designed to weaken your iman to the extent where they're not having truthful dialogue, but they are prepared to make things up. The prophets were asked by the angel Jibreel before taking their soul. For permission, yes. because this was the, this was granted to the prophets, you know, mm -hmm. 
and the prophets were asked either the prophet was also offered you can either live up to the day of judgment with your ummah or your time is up we'll take you and he yes, said i, I, want, understand to, I want to be with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it was his choice to be taken to be taken to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know his mission was done alhamdulillah but don't go into sites don't go into places which are designed to be insincere they will lie and fabricate they will do whatever it takes to try to weaken your iman don't I go understand, into but it's not only sites but it's also like people in real life that i like uh encounter with because i had an old friend of mine and she like she was a muslim and she was like i as i i saw her as like a normal muslim just normal liver in her life but then she got like a an Christian boyfriend and he started seeing very very bad things about Islam and this is also a reason why she left and she also just suddenly turned into a Christian and I guess it made me very confused so that's why I like started searching these but things you know what sister I give you some some just a bit of reflection here but mm -hmm. a number of years ago I met a man who fell in love with a Christian woman felt so much in love of practicing Muslim man, started to go to her church to support her in her faith. He eventually became baptized in that faith. And then he fell out of love with the lady. And so he was left following the religion of his ex. Talk about having baggage. So what was his, his, his immediate like solution? He returned to Islam. And as in returning to Islam, he recognized what the hell that I put myself through. Nothing in India was worth it to have left my faith because of the arguments of the church. So sister, whoever your friend is, make do offer them that Allah guides them and do them a favor. Suggest them that they come to the EF Dawah. Hey brothers, what's the next stream that we can have the sister run? Open uh, forum next. Probably open forum, yeah. Probably the open forum so she can come. Right, she doesn't okay. have to show her face. Just yes. say that, hey, I'm here to talk to you guys about Islam. Here are the things that made me leave Islam. Do you have answers to them? Yes, we do. And let's see what happens at the end of that conversation. Give her the opportunity to speak to fellow Muslims about Islam. And if you can facilitate that for us, sister, that would be amazing. Let's do. Let, let's all work together. To bring this sister back to Islam, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. Oh, yes, yeah, so inshallah. If, if you subscribe to the channel and then set the reminder, once you set the reminder, that will actually remind you of the uh, stream, the next stream that's coming up. It should be not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday should be open forum. Uh, mm, if, okay. by the way, in the meantime, you know, she has some questions or she'd like to speak privately, does not want to come onto the stream, Email us, inshallah. We will arrange a private conversation online, uh, which will not be recorded or or or, or sort of uh, um, shared. Yeah, published, uh, and uh, we can inshallah deal with her questions then. Okay, sister. Okay, can thank you very much. Please go on, Imran, doctor. Sorry. But so, sister Rojda, I just want to give you one other way of thinking about this. So, in this verse, Allah is saying that if if anyone makes up something in His name, then he will be killed essentially seize them by her right hand and we'll cut the aorta. He doesn't say that we will let them continue giving in the verses until they've completed their, uh, you know, the revelation and they've stood on a 
you know, in front of everyone and said, and, you know, this day I perfected your religion for you, and then slowly die in your bed. Because this is not the meaning of the verses, you will be stopped from giving false revelations. And then if you look at the poisoning incident, the, the, after the Battle of Haibos and the poisoning happened, and it was many years later that the Prophet Peace of was passing away. So even that poisoning, and the reason it, it's a proof against the people, because they were saying that if you were a false prophet, you would have died. Yes. And the Prophet didn't die. So actually it's an evidence for the Prophet Peace Because him. there is extremely strong poison meant to kill him the moment he ingested it. Absolutely. We understand both of these are both of these are proofs for the Prophet peace upon him. No, the Prophet didn't wasn't stopped from giving revelation by his ayota being cut. He carried on until the revelation was completed. No, the the Prophet didn't die from the poisoning that was meant to kill anyone who was a false prophet. He died many years later from that. So both of these stories are actually evidences for the Prophet peace upon him, but they they're tricking and they're twisting to make it seem as if they're the opposite to that system. That's right. And the companion that was with the Prophet who took one bite, he actually died. He died immediately. So this is a sign for, as as Ibran said, a sign for the Prophet for, for Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, Jazakallah sister for coming on. Inshallah, we'll, uh, I'm Thank sure you. we'll your friends too. Uh, otherwise, you're more than welcome to come back again. Okay, thank you very much. Brother Sam, we're going to get you on next. If you quickly put your camera on, please. Uh, if you could just kick us, uh, give us, sorry, a, a, a quick wave. Uh, that's great, Sam. You can turn your camera off and then we'll get you on now. Sam, welcome to the stream. Asalaamu Alaikum. Um, uh, brother, where are you uh, tuning in from today? Uh, London. London, mashallah. So you are. Um, so. That's that's a bit boring. We're in London as well. I was hoping you would say Australia or Alaska. Oh, it was. It's uh, near Barking. So. <laughs> near Barking. We're right yeah. around the corner to you. You could have just oh. popped around. Anyway, oh, let's early. Let's... <laughs> yeah. So I just have a quick oh, question. Uh, Brother Ijaz, I think uh, with oh. your knowledge um, on the Bible, um, what it is, um, you see with um, the book of Samuel, it yes. says about killing babies and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, a Christian likened this to the flood of Noah, to the flood of Noah, okay. that all the everyone was collectively sort of punished, and this God can do this sort of stuff. Um, what do you think? What, what would be the best response? Well, I, I don't see the analogy there being fair because... One is the total annihilation of a people via fighting. You know, what, what we would term to be a genocide, right? A mass event of killing. On the other hand, if God destroys a people, um, this does not typically involve an army needing to be led. Usually what we call like acts of nature, or like, like hurricanes or, or monsoons or storms of these types we've seen have been used to destroy societies as punishment from a lot, whether stones rain down, down filled with sulfur, right, as you have a settlement, Gomorrah, etc. So I don't think that these two things are analogical, to be honest with you. Okay, and another thing, is it true that, um, you know, with the in the book of Samuel, it, it was a punishment that was done for the early generations of the, the Amalek, uh, Amalekites or something? Yes. That uh, when when Israel came out of Egypt, and it was for that reason that Samuel 
or sorry, Saul or whoever it was that was commanded to wipe out the entire Amalekites for something that was done by the earlier generation. Is that correct? Or you've got the gist of it. But what's what's the question here that's been asked? No, it's just what it is. Um it's something which I just really recently looked up. I'm not sure if it's correct because we might have a better argument here that the, the biblical God is commanding something to uh, you know to annihilate a particular generation for the acts of their forefathers. Yes. So when Israel was coming out of Egypt and there was some sort of pestilence or whatever done by the Amalekites, that 300 year a future generation of them were completely genocided. Is that correct? Or yeah, that would be genocide. And just to be clear here, some people may say to you that well, it was only at that time for that group of people. But even recently, we saw that Bibi Netanyahu invoked that term, remember yes. what happened to the Amalekites. So clearly, yes. they, well, every man, woman, child, ox, and plant was destroyed. Yeah, you have I to mean, ask I'll... yourself, just, just, just if you think about this a bit more reasonably, I always say to them, this book preaches violence on a scale that if a Muslim had said these words or done these commands, we would be considered the most evil group on earth. I say to them, not even the Quran contains such a command to kill everything which breeds. Hmm. Right, so there's no comparison here. Because so, I've, heard, uh, I've heard Brother Paul um from blogging theology, I think he was in a debate once with um, a Christian lady from Speaker's Corner, and he mentioned that this commandment um, was so, it's, it's, you know, by its nature, it's very evil because it was commanded to kill a particular group of Malachites for what their forefathers had done yes. to Israel when, I think it was in the book of Exodus, that I will punish Israel for what they did to sorry, the um, Amalekites for what they did to Israel um, but when they came out of uh, Egypt. Um, but there, there's Egypt. also, yeah, but there's also Deuteronomy twenty sixteen, which is not related to the Amalekites, <laughs> in which it says, "Kill everything okay. which has nefesh breath." Right, kill, kill, kill everything okay. that has breath. And just to be clear, these commands are not temporary; they are eternal, because in the Book of Psalm. I think chapter 119, verse 160, it says, your laws, O oh, oh Lord, are eternal. Mm -hmm. That complicates things now, because that could mean that according to their faith, genocide is a legitimate command from God that can be used in the modern day, such as what we see in Gaza. Right, I see. Uh, subhanallah, brother Sam, um, because this is sort of doubt busters, it's not particularly within the theme. But however, inshallah, I hope that's been helpful. I mean, the other yes, thing on, on the day of yeah. judgment, Allah is going to destroy the entire world, the whole universe. It doesn't mean that we can launch nuclear weapons and destroy all of life on earth ourselves. Is it Allah is the owner, the keeper, the sustainer? He is the king, he is the one who can annihilate everyone and everything because he is the creator of everyone and everything uh we have a different 
set of rules that we can apply. And that's why when we contrast those rules to warfare within Islam, i.e. if you go to war, what are the etiquettes of war? Uh, then these things are like uh, these things would be war criminal uh, war crimes according oh. to the Islamic narrative to go and kill the children and deliberately target the women and deliberately kill the animals and just chop down everything and kill everything um, uh, this this is certainly not allowed so um, I, I hope that's been helpful brother sir yeah I just have a quick uh, uh, you know with the Druze the community Druze community in um, Lebanon I've, I've heard from a member of the Druze community that he cited Ibn Taymiyyah on a fatwa that was um, that was based, it was aimed to sort of uh, make warfare against them, um, and it wasn't particularly really sort of nice. But I, I was wondering, have you come across that uh, fatwa and an explanation? Well, you know what it is. Sorry, Sam. Fatwa. Again, this is not really a dawa doubt, a dawa sort of question. If you don't mind, um, it's, it's just fine. that it's just, just that we've got like seven people waiting. Yeah. Yeah, Sam. Did you? Did you? Sam, did you look up the fatwa? Sam, can you hear me? Hello. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Can you hear me? Did you look up the fatwa? No, not putting no, but it did sort of raise questions. No, but how can it raise a question if you haven't verified it? So the first thing to do is, it's not just assume that when people are saying things to you. So this is. Uh, just a general principle. Now I'm going to try and use your non-doubt questions just to give a principle. Just because someone gives you information that seems dubious in whatever way it is, don't accept it. Find out mm. first. So what it means, you do some research and find out is it actually the case, and then you would go on uh, from that point. Do you understand? Yeah. So yeah, you're because yeah. you're saying is it sound really bad, and you're making judgments about something that you haven't even verified. Actually, is this true? It's not necessary judgments, but I was wondering if you guys had any. Um, have you come across this question before? So um, the problem is we. It's not a because it's something. It's very specific and uh, it's, it's something to do with a really obscure group of people called the Druze, and you're Druze, saying that yeah. they were specifically about the Druze that was given by Ibn Taymiyyah, and mm. you haven't cited it. You haven't given us any wording from it even, um, and you're asking us our opinion on it, and we're not. I, my first thing is actually I need to see it first. Show me what it is, and I'll give you. Okay. A and I think that your approach should be the same. Is what I'm saying to you. The person. Okay. So what I'll do? What I'll do is let me just finish my sentence. So what I suggest is the person that was speaking to you. You would say to them, "Okay, let me bring it to me. Give me the evidence. Send me a link. Something that I can see. This I can check and verify. And at that point, then I will see what I would think of this. Okay. Can I send you the link on your email? Send us the email, email and, then, okay. and then what we can do is go from that point. But you had to, just as a general principle, you need to have maybe done a bit of research on the claims that people make before you accept them. So if you haven't yeah, come up with yeah. it, you'd withhold, you'd withhold a view on it. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'll send you the link and we'll take it from there. Is that okay? No problem. Okay, okay. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, I think we've got brother. I think it's fear of next. If you could just put your camera on and then um, just verify yourself, please, fear uh, quickly. Uh, just if I can see the whole of your face rather than just part of your face, that's great. We're going to get you on next. You can turn your camera off, uh, brother. Fear, welcome to the stream. Uh, you just yeah, need. 
just unmute yourself, please. But there you go, brother. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam, brother. How are you guys doing? Alhamdulillah. I can see a picture of a cup of tea there, so I feel like a cup of tea now. That's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Where is it? Oh, Singapore. Mashallah, Singapore. Alhamdulillah. When are, yeah, you gonna invite, when are you going to invite us to come and see you? Sure, anytime. Alhamdulillah. We need we need yeah. plane tickets, hotels. We need all of these things. I'm just joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brother, Brother, please, please uh, what's your question? Sorry. Uh, uh, just quick question. Just one quick question. Yes, because we always say that the Quran is preserved. So, but then again, what does it mean for the Quran to be preserved? Should this mean that the Quran has been preserved letter for letter, or just that the essential teachings of uh, Muhammad peace be upon him are quoted within it? Let me put it this way: the Prophet peace be upon him recited the Quran to the companions. He tested the companions on their recitation and confirmed that they recited it correctly. They had students, they had students, and we can trace all of the students right the way back up to the teachers of the students right the way back up to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu who then has linked his words to Jibreel Gabriel, who links his words to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how, how, how confirmed we have that link. Now, the written Qur'an, when it comes to the writing, the calligraphy, the letters and what have you, uh, those are not necessarily like the alif, for example, because in uh, or, or the vowels even, for example, because the Arab, when he read, I'm sleeping on the bid, BD, he immediately knew that this means bed. I'm sleeping on the bed, because that was his native language. As the Qur'an spread to other regions, people would be reading it, bid, bod, bud. So they added the vowels to ensure that the people would be able to uh, recite it exactly how the Prophet ﷺ recited the Qur'an. So uh, this should be enough for us, quite frankly. But the calligraphy has changed over time. The adding of the alifs in certain places where you have to stretch the letter has been added to ensure that you still read it, recite it, that you still recite it in the same way as Prophet ﷺ. Okay, I understand that. For, so, for us, so for us, the written hmm. Qur'an is not uh, the, the Qur'an that we say is preserved, i.e. every mark and every dot, for example, because these things may, some things may be added just to make sure that the, recite, that, that the recital is still the same. But it's the recital that is exactly how the Prophet recited it. This is what we believe. Yeah, I understand that. But if, let's say, the Qur'an being preserved means we exactly know how Prophet Muhammad pronounced the Qur'an itself. Yes. Well, what are your thoughts that the Quran continues to evolve until Ibn Ajazari canonizes the three readings after the seven? No, it doesn't. So, you go back to the central point. Collectively, the Ummah, there is ajma among the ulama that the way in which the Quran has been transmitted, it is uh, what we would call, uh, somebody remind me afterward, but what is it called? But it's mass transmitted. What's, what's the name of it? Mutawatir. Quran is Tawatir. Right, full stop. So it does not mean, just to be clear here, that a random person's recitation is ever going to count. 
it must come through someone who's qualified and has the permission to recite. That's the way that it works. So if like our children are going to trace the recitation of the Quran, they're not going to go through, you know, me as their father or Dr. Imran or Dr. Abbas, right? The brother Abbas, they will go through the their, their Kauri, the teacher who has sat down and taught them Tajweed. They'll go to the teacher at an institution who is taking the Hifz class to memorize the Quran, through which they will be part of the Sanad, the chain of transmission. So this is something very specific, and uh, I, I hope it helps. Did it help? Did I did it uh, help us make progress with the question? So those. Yes, it does. But is there anything left? Then has your question been answered? Uh, yes, there's some, some, yes. Nothing left? Okay, all right. Thank you, Brother Ferdos. It's good to uh, hear, hear a question about the Quran from you. I think I've answered so many about the Bible. Uh, is that oh, yeah. I, I was expecting one of those. But, yeah, I, 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 I wanted to ask one. Honestly, I wanted to ask. One of the evidences, very strong evidences for preservation is, as I've mentioned before, you're from Singapore, right? Yes. Right. When an imam reads the Quran with tajweed in Singapore and somebody else reads with tajweed in Mauritania, where many times they don't have the mushaf, they don't have the book, they don't have the Quranic text with them. They write on a chalkboard. They write from memory. They learn from, me from memory and writing on the chalkboard. When the imam in Mauritania reads the, recites the Quran, how comes their tajweed is exactly the same? Uh, I would say they probably learn it from their own teachers. Exactly. So when you learn from the teachers and learn from the teachers and they teachers maybe 10, 15, 20, 25 generations before, they go to the same sahaba, the same companion who then learns it from the Prophet ﷺ, this is an evidence for the preservation of the recital of the Qur'an. Otherwise, we would have dozens, if not hundreds, of different recitations where two people on opposite sides of the world would never agree. But we have agreement even on the stretching of the letter, ah, or ah, or... Even on that aspect, there is... There is tajweed rules that are applied. And, and that shows you that despite there being communicate, lack of communication, fast data communication transfer for centuries, at uh, 12, 1300 years, one may argue, because we've only had the, the ability to, to, to sort of uh, speak to people and communicate rapidly in the last couple of centuries, maybe max, right? Uh, the printing press and then perhaps, uh, you know, telecommunication fax machine or telegraph or whatever you want to call it, right? Maybe 150, maybe 200 years ago, right? Why is it that those are only three or four generations ago, right? That they still recite it exactly because they learned it from his scholar, he learned it from his scholar, and they're reciting in exactly the same way. This is a very profound bit of evidence. And actually, uh, if you look at what other mechanism could be could explain this phenomena you would struggle to come up with a different mechanism 
Because if somebody and, has learnt it through an oral tradition, do you think they're going to accept somebody else's recital somewhere else if it's different and they're corrected? They're not going to. They're not going to take that correction. They're going to say, "I have every single link up to the Prophet sallallahu I have the isnad all the way." Then them are going to accept it, and you would definitely end up with multiple readings, which we don't do. But I, I hope that's been helpful, brother. For you. Uh, yes, it does. Thank you so much. I wouldn't talk much time. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get Brother Hassan on next. Brother Hassan, if you can please just uh, show your face again quickly uh, and just give us a thumbs up and then you can turn your camera off if you like or you can leave it on whether whatever you are comfortable with. Uh, you have a very dangerous name. You have Hassan the Aggressor. So we are actually really scared now. We don't know how we're going to tackle this, brother, because, you know, I hope you're not going to get too aggressive with us, brother. But I hope you're a, a, a pussycat, really, but not really an aggressive person. But let's let's see how this goes. Brother Hassan, assalamu alaikum, brother. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sorry for the name. This is specifically for certain types of non-Muslims. Sorry. Uh, okay. I, hope, I, hope, I hope we're not included in that now. So. No, 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 no. I, I'm actually a, an admirer of your work, and uh, Dr. Imran is specifically because of um, his his work specifically on uh, on other channels as well, which is why I'm I'm a big fan actually. Uh, my question isn't really a doubt; it's more of confirming whether or not I have the right theory, if 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 I may. So it's specifically about uh, Surah Al-Araf. There's a verse there. I'm sorry, I didn't uh, get the, get the exact number of the verse, but it's about the uh, about the six epochs of of creation, as far as we understand it in Islam, right? So it has to do with the issue of time. Now, my uh, um, explanation, or my explanation to myself, is that uh, the uh, is is that the Quran denotes to the power of Allah in which time is not a factor or a hindrance for Allah it's basically for the benefit of us human beings that's what I understand of it that because we cannot comprehend uh, the power of Allah we cannot understand how powerful uh, Allah is that this uh, creation that the time span of the creation is so that we human beings uh, are not um, baffled Am I uh, am I off or am I right? I'd just like to confirm that. Dr. Imran, why don't you inshallah talk to Brother Hassan? Assalamualaikum, Brother. How are you doing? Okay. Waalaikumsalam. I'm good, thank you. Alhamdulillah, Brother. What, you said epochs. Uh, explain a bit further, please, because I don't I don't getting your question. Right. So um, I, I may be wrong about this, uh, if, but from what I remember, because. Um, uh, Epochs, the specific term epochs, it doesn't have a, uh, it doesn't have specificity in terms of time itself, but rather time periods. That those time periods can be a day, can be years, um, X, Y, Z, but just time periods. That that's the closest. Uh, th that's that's the meaning that I found in a few uh, dictionaries. That the first time I actually uh, saw the the word epochs was. Um, Actually, in uh, in a translation of the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, back when I was a teenager, and last Ramadan, I was reading uh, the Surah Al-Araf, uh, which is when I encountered this uh, again. And um, 
uh, that's where I, I I got to thinking. Wait a minute, uh, how do we reconcile this? Because the term isn't just used uh, in the Old Testament; it's also used in the Quran. So I I don't know. I, I got confused about it. Uh, it kept bugging me, and the 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 only way that I've reconciled uh, the verse to myself, at least. Is that this was this is this has been done for our benefit as human beings because we uh, obviously our uh, our intelligence is is limited. Uh, so for our benefit, Allah uh, set up the creation uh, of all that we know and we don't know uh, into existence uh, through time for our benefit, not for Allah uh, benefit. Brother, which specific verses in Surah Raf are you talking about? Talking about? You know? Um right. So uh, I don't I don't have the worst number, even though I wrote it down. Um so basically it talks about okay, so it basically talks about the creation uh of the universe in six epochs, uh six uh, uh cycles. Okay. I, I, if it would be great if I could see the um let me get my crown out. So do you don't remember where where it said this? Because because really I'm to be honest with you I'm not familiar with what you're saying. But if I could have a uh, look at just, it. just a minute, just a minute. I'll just uh, put it up. Yeah. Uh, this here in my notes. Right, it is fifty-four. It's fifty-four. Here we go. Verse number fifty-four. Did your your Lord is God who created the heavens and the earth in six days and established himself upon the throne. He makes the day and night and night overlap in rapid succession. He created the, and so the six epochs are mentioned here. The word, so this is a, this is from the clear Quran. This is just a, a, a note about the word day there. It says the word day is not always used in the Quran to mean a 24 hour period. According to uh, chapter 22, verse 47, a, Heavenly day is a thousand years of our time. The day of judgment can be 50,000 years of our time. Hence, the six days of creation refer to eons of time known only by God. So your theory is correct. And and, and if I, you know, that's that's how we understand when Oliver talks about even Yom uh, specifically, it's not when it's talking about the creation, it's not referring to a 24-hour day, but a period, a period of time, which is why the word epoch is used or eon is used. They all They have the same meaning. So, yes, yeah, I'm, yes, I think uh, right, right idea. Alhamdulillah, it wasn't a twenty-four hour day at all. Alhamdulillah. I mean, my my theory was that whether it's a whether it's a day uh, in what we understand of as a day or twenty-four hour day or heavenly days, it's irrelevant to Allah. It's more relevant to us to sort of, um, yeah. I guess, to make it simpler for us as human beings, right? Uh, right. Um, well, that was my only way, question. It was interesting that the way that the uh, this the the sheikh he translates the footnote it says that if you read and other times when the the word day is used it refers to much bigger time periods so the, the day of so the day of judgment for example 50,000 years you're waiting that's a day and then you know you uh, the you descending from one place to another place it comes up in a, a thousand years or so the day the term day is not being used here it's, we're actually being explicitly told that it's not a 24-hour day that's being described. So this is why they translate the word. They don't even use the word day usually. They, Although he does in his translation, he's just clarifying that this day is not the conventional use. It's a use more in terms of 
large expanses of time that we don't have the exact number of or the the, the quantity of. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I agree completely. Actually, I, I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to speak yeah. to you, brother. Lovely to speak to you. And aggressor yeah. is definitely not um, doesn't suit you, brother. You need to change that now. I think. Alhamdulillah, jazakallah khair. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Lovely to speak to you. Make dua for us. May Allah keep us in safety, inshallah. Brother, assalamualaikum. Most definitely, assalamualaikum. Mashallah. Lovely brother, lovely smile, mashallah. Uh, we like very uh, aggressive smile. Yeah, yes, he was very aggressive. All right, uh, um, let me just think now who's next because uh, Kenny, we're going to get your next. Kenny, just give me a thumbs up. Uh, okay, Kenny, we're going to get you on now. You can turn the camera off or leave it on, whether you're comfortable with Kenny. Can I ask, are, are you Muslim? Yes, I'm Muslim. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah, brother. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm all right. How are you, brother? We're absolutely wonderful. Now that you're on the show, mashallah, we're much better, alhamdulillah. Please, ask your question. <laughs> all right. Um, so my question isn't really a doubt. I hope I'm still prompted to ask it, though. Um, it's on behalf of a friend. I was asked this question, and um, although I don't have an understanding of what it is supposed to be, I wanted to get your brother's opinion especially because of it was a question that really um, is important to this friend and um, I don't want the answer to be um, reduced in a way that she's going to see that it's just because it is coming from me, right? So I wanted to get, um, you know, I know you guys are like the the big man, one of the big people in that way. I listen to your shows a lot. This is the second time I'm coming to your show, actually. Um, so the... She, um, the question she asked me was, um, she made sometimes she makes um, certain posts or comment or repost um, a quote or something or makes a certain post, and it might contain certain words like um, patriarchy, maybe feminism, some of these words. But obviously, she is someone that recognizes the values of Islam, so uses it within the context of. Um, Islamic paradigm, but most times she gets um, a lot of um, lashbacks because of certain people um, criticize her for using some of those words because of the Western connotations of them, and um, some of them have been accused her of committing shriek because of just using a word as simple as patriarchy. And I wanted to know: is it um, wrong to use trying to pass a message, for instance, and in a bit of passing message, you use a word like um, feminism, use a word like patriarchy. And um, is it wrong? Is it um, conflicting with any of the Islamic values to communicate in such manner? Well, that this would probably be more of a fiqhi question, brother. But in, in to be sensible, without sort of making anything haram or halal, words and terms have certain meanings to them. So when you use a particular word, it has some meanings that are attached. It, ha it, defi it has a definition. Uh, definitionally, it means something, you see. And yeah. some of the things within feminism are clearly anti-Islamic. They're not, they're not regarded to be uh, Islamic. Uh, yes. And so if you use a word feminism to mean 
you know, women's rights and you mean it in that way, it, it may not be problematic. But the problem is that the word itself doesn't just mean that. It's a whole ideology. It's a movement. First wave feminism, second wave feminism, third wave feminism. There are books written on feminism by feminists. Okay. And it has certain meanings uh, and it has certain definitions. And, and yes, some of those, many of those do not line up with uh, Islam. And so it's, 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 it's unwise to use words that are going to, in effect, uh, be contrary to the Islamic principles and Islamic values. Uh, when we, if we were to use words like women's rights or the rights of women, this is something that Islam has propagated, encouraged, in fact, facilitated, you know, 14 centuries ago, the rights to inheritance, uh, the rights to her property, her wealth, the man could not just inherit it, just take it away. I mean, I went to a, a country home the other day and I found out that the woman was the only heir left who could inherit this home. But because at the time in England, the law was that women could not inherit. The government took it. And this is only going back a, a couple of centuries or whatever, right? Whereas in Islam, if she was the only heir left, she would have inherited her father's property. So Islam had rights for women that far exceeded anything that was out there. But when we use the word feminism or secularism or democracy in the sense that it's understood, these can become very problematic if you're trying to somehow, uh, you know, uh, somehow, you know, uh, weave them into Islam, then many of these things are not compatible in the way that they are. But please, Dr. Imran and Ijaz, if you think you should add anything to that, please do. Yeah, just, uh, I agree. Just if, if the words are being misunderstood and they're not communicating what she feels that they should be communicating because people are misunderstanding them, then maybe she should use different words. It's just a word about communication. It's like sometimes when I'm speaking to the Qadianis or the Ahmadis, and we use the word miracle, and they understand miracle as, an, as a natural event, and we understand miracle as a supernatural event, and then using the word miracle is not helpful in the conversation. So similarly, if we are using the word you know, patriarchy, uh, but you're understanding it in a way that it's not understood by the vast majority of the people, and they understand it to mean that you know, uh, men rule uh, to oppress women or to mistreat women, um, and that's the patriarchy. And but she doesn't mean that. Then she's using the wrong word. So you need to maybe it's more wise to rather than find out if it's halal or haram to improve the way of communicating and actually communicate the idea rather than just using a word that can be misconstrued. Does that make sense, brother? Yeah, that does. It does perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Brother. Any, well, brother, any, welcome. Uh, thank you for coming on. Mashallah, I really enjoyed you having. Well, you, uh, is this the first time you've been on, Kenny? I think you've been on before, haven't you? Yes, this is my second time. Oh, second time. The first I time I just yeah. walked in to um, greet you, brothers. Alhamdulillah. 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 Right, Alhamdulillah. Nice, nice to meet you again, brother Kenny. Inshallah, hopefully. Whereabouts are you from, brother Kenny? Um, Nigeria. Oh, no, Nigeria. I, actually, are you living in Nigeria? Yes, I'm living in Nigeria. Okay, I was going to ask you if you're local, then come down to Speaker's Corner. We'll give you a hug. But, uh, <laughs> Nigeria to Inshallah, here. Inshallah, someday. 
might be a bit of an expensive to plane ticket to come. Just I just to want to say one one thing before you go. Yes, you know, definitely big people in the Dawa, but we are trying to lose weight, inshallah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, some of us are trying harder than others. I thank you for giving us advice in a subtle way. Please speak for yourself. I'm trying to increase my weight. Thank you. He does it's trying to gain weight. Uh, oh, we're trying to lose it. He does it. Okay. Uh, brother, he does it. Do you want to add anything quickly before we get the ram brother no, Ramadan? You guys, you, you guys are the best, mashallah. Uh, brother Kenny, inshallah, uh, speak to you soon again. Jazakallah khair for coming on. Inshallah. Brother Ramadan, you're next. If you could just kindly put your camera on and just verify yourself again quickly. Uh, I think it's then, too early for Ramadan. Maybe we should wait a couple more weeks. Yes, yes, maybe we should. Uh, Brother Ramadan, if you could kindly just put your camera on quickly and then we'll get you on. Otherwise, I'm going to get Brother Ali, Alejandro. Alejandro? Alejandro? Alejandro. Brother Alejandro, if you could just give me... Lovely, we're going to get you on next, Brother Alejandro. Brother Ramadan, if you want to come on, please just get your camera on quickly for me. Uh, Brother Alejandro, mm -hmm. welcome to the stream. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum as salam. Well, I think this is your second time as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We're going to have to charge you this time, then, brother. It's going to be fifty pounds, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking, God. Sure. <laughs> there are some streams that might do that. Actually, <laughs> not not us. I'm just joking. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, brother. Alejandro. No problem. Well, so um, the question is basically regarding um, the attributes. Or the so-called actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, now, of course, I'm a revert. I'm still learning about Tawheed. I'm still learning how Allah kind of proceeds and do actions. Um, but then I came across a verse in the Hadith and in the Quran. Um, so in these two verses is kind of in the same narrative uh, because it's talking about the actions or the attributes of Allah. So, for instance, and I think you guys are very familiar with this one, uh, in Sahih al-Bukhari 11.45, where it talks about um, Allah descending to the lowest heaven. And then in, in the Quran, uh, in, let me just check the number, uh, in Surah 7, Ayah 54, it talks about Allah creating, you know, the earth and the heavens in six days, and then He ascends to His throne. So my so my question is basically this: that you have in one verse in the Hadith saying that Allah descends to the lowest heaven, and on the other hand, you have the Quran saying that He ascends to His throne. So, in, so my question is basically how to interpret these verses. Does this mean symbolic or? Do I have to understand it like a metaphor or is it quite literally? It's a good question, brother. I'm going to get Ijaz to start because me and Dr. have spoken sure. already. Brother, Dr. Ijaz, please, Dr. Ijaz, please. You're thank, thank you, Professor uh, Dr. Abbas. Oh. <laughs> Professor, Dr. and a, what else is there? Is there anything else out there? I mean, you can be a sir, like astronaut case, or something. Just add, just add astronaut at the end of it because I like space. Go on, astronaut. Just well. please don't give us your pronouns. That's all. Uh... <laughs> that's all oh, I, don't know. I won't me, do doctor. that. Uh, Doctor Professor uh, Ijaz, please. I'm offended that a wicked member of the NHS who probably treats men and women in Britain 
probably aligned with a prescribed group is willing to argue against pronouns. I'm, I'm concerned by this. Yes. If you guys don't get the reference, it's the whole Piers Morgan debacle. So let's, uh, Brother Alejandro, it's, it's quite simple, okay? We say that we affirm how Allah describes himself, but the kaifia, the modality, the wholeness of what these words describe they are known only to Allah. So let's take one for example, that Allah descends in the third portion of the night. Now, mm. there were many interpretations of this particular hadith. The safest which is to simply say that uh, Allah descends in a way in which he knows best. That's the best interpretation. But there, were, there was another inter- interpretation with merit, that simply says that Allah's mercy descends at this point. And he answers the du'as of those who seek him at that very sacred time. So mm-hmm. there are some people who are opposed to giving uh, uh, interpretations like these. And they prefer that you simply say the meaning is with Allah and only he knows it. And they put a full stop at the end of that. So I take a bit of a balanced uh, position. Some imams, and especially some of the companions of Rasulullah Abbas himself, is known to have interpreted many of the actions referring to movements um, uh, and some of the acts of Allah as metaphorically being done. Right. So there is a scale of understanding here. The safest route I still encourage is the meaning is resigned with Allah and Allah alone. That's yeah. the simplest of it. So basically, whatever want... befits His Majesty, this is what yeah. we would say. So, whatever so some... befits His Majesty. Yes, yeah, sorry, not to cut across, yeah. uh, Brother Abbas. Sorry. But someone might say to you, well, well, uh, if, he, if he descends, he must come down. We say no. The, the language in the, te- the text does not say he comes down. It doesn't describe the how of these words, the modality, the way that the thing is being done, how that descent is being done. We can't explain it. It's only for Allah to explain it. He is the one making the claim. He is the one describing himself. And we're sufficient with that. Right? So that's it. That's the simple and most safest way possible. Otherwise, you might end up with people... <laughs> Unfortunately, saying to you, take it literally mm. that Allah physically descends, and we say to this, no. What does the Quran teach us? Two of forty-two, ayah eleven. Like the there is nothing, there is no entity like, similar to, or equal to Allah. Allah is not bound by the six directions. He's not bound mm. by time and space. He exists outside of, of time. He exists outside of space. Full stop. So he mm. can't be like, uh, uh, he's not below Dr. Imran, to the left of Dr. Imran, to the right of Dr. Imran, because Allah is not a created entity. He does not have created attributes. Does this make sense to you, Brother Alejandro? Yeah, yeah, it makes perfectly sense. Um, I just wanted to kind of understand how to understand these verses uh, and how the interpretation is basically yeah fine the, um, the thing is any standard tafsir of the quran will explain these ayat to you without having to answer questions like this right mm-hmm. so any standard tafsir will, will give you a good explanation of these ayat that would be sufficient 
Personally, I like. Uh, sorry, please go ahead. No, uh, I just want to understand. So, uh, just to make clear, because I don't speak Arabic, but like in the original text, what what does descent mean in in Arabic? Is is that kind of the same word used been used? Yeah, yeah, it's the word for coming down, for right. for, for, for going from a higher position to a lower mm -hmm. position, right? Okay. But we say right. that this cannot apply to Allah in the human sense because Allah is unlike any entity, and so that description of going from a higher place to a lower one only applies to those who are created, you and I. Or a ball, or an elevator, something like this. But that that description cannot be applied to Allah because He's not created. Yeah, right. Okay. Brother Alhamdulillah, I hope that was helpful, inshallah. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. Yeah, it, it, made, it made a lot of sense actually. I uh, really appreciate it. You're, yeah, you're welcome, brother. Always a pleasure to have you on. I don't know if, but I don't know, if brother Abbas, if you or Dr. Imran wanted anything. Uh, no, I think much you answered it beautifully, but unless Dr. wants to add anything, inshallah. So, the, just to just to sort of reiterate, but to give you the principles, the principle is nothing is like unto him. So that means when and whenever we, the only way we can know about Allah is how the Prophet, how Allah described Himself, uh, the Prophet. Upon him described Allah. Now, when it comes to uh, explaining how Allah does things, so we take whatever Allah describes. So, if Allah sends or he descends, we accept this as that Allah sends and descends. How the howness of that, how this happens, this is not given to us. So, we don't delve into the howness. We stay mm -hmm. silent upon that. And the real, the principle here is that we don't want to be in the trap of falling into. Um, uh, either taking away the meaning, so you start to change the meanings to other things, or the trap of uh, anthropomorphizing the meaning, i.e., making it something of like something of the creation. Mm. So the scholars, are, so the the, the issues around explaining this is this is where some of the the situation comes is that this is balance is being taken that we only say of Allah what Allah says, uh, either through Himself or His Prophet. And so we don't know the how. So Phila says that he, he created Kun Fayakun. How? We have no idea about the how. Uh, we, we are living and Allah lives with the same name is the same. How? Uh, Allah is like never never came into existence, never will leave existence. So these things are not the same. We, the word that maybe is the same, but they, they are different in terms of the, the actual howness of it. So it's important that we just understand the principle. So when you're looking into this, are you sitting with anyone, brother, to learn these things, or what are you doing? Are you, no, are not you... really. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm still kind of still learning a lot of things. I mean, of course, I know the principle rule that nothing can be compared to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So yes. that I definitely know. But I just wanted to kind of be sure on of you know the major interpretation of this. It, yes. it, maybe there was some hadith talking about this issue that I'm at. Brother, you where are you based? Have have remind, remind us. Yeah, I'm based in in in, in Scandinavia, in Denmark. Okay, alhamdulillah. So I think it would be good to actually, because when you're reading these texts, you're going to come across these questions, and it's it's really mm. good to be uh, maybe in in touch with someone locally who you can, who maybe a scholar in your area who can go through things with you and maybe delve into some of these questions and give in depth explanations. I think that's a useful way of approaching right. it. Inshallah. So if you need, if you want to help to find anyone, if you don't have anyone already, please email us and we can put you in touch, inshallah, to somebody appropriate. 
Inshallah, So, but brother Jazrali, him and he summed it up perfectly. I just wanted yeah, to mashallah, clarify. Beautifully. I think both of you, both of you explained it very well, mashallah. Um, your brother Alejandro, you've got the email there. Uh, do email us if we can inshallah, help you put you in touch with somebody, then we will do so, inshallah. But mashallah, you always ask very good questions, and I think mashallah. Uh, it's nice that you're much you know, learning, reading so much. And uh, yes, if you have further questions, please do uh, contact us, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. All right, my brother. Okay, brothers, if you want our sisters and brothers, if you want to get on, please leave your cameras on because we can then get you on faster. Uh, Saad, agnostic Muslim, if you want to come on, uh, we've got Fudo, uh, who's got his camera on, which is great. Uh, right, Ramadan, just give me a quick thumbs up. That's great. We're going to get Ramadan. you on now. You can turn. You said, sorry, you're saying something, doctor. I said, Mashallah, Ramadan is here. Ramadan is early. Ramadan, you're very early, brother. Can you hear us, brother Ramadan? Yeah, yeah. Well, your voice is very, very low. You need to. Ramadan is far away. You need to far away from the mic. Uh, uh, you need to uh, get close to the mic or turn the volume up if you if possible. Can you hear us, Brother Ramadan? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I'll try to turn your volume up from my end. Try speaking now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, can you speak a bit louder? Sorry, brother. It's, I've turned it up two hundred percent, but it's still very quiet. Um, how about now? That, that's a bit better. Please do ask your question, inshallah. Okay. Um, okay, my question is uh, regarding uh, Surah Al-Imran. Yeah. Uh, when Allah says, do not be divided, yes. uh, hold, hold, hold on tight to the, rope, to the rope of Allah and don't be divided. Yes. But uh, And there is one hadith of Rasulullah uh, correct me if, if I'm if I'm wrong. Uh, so Rasulullah so Salam said, oh, uh, at the end of days, my ummah will be divided into like seventy something. Seventy two, I think it is. Yeah, or seventy. Yeah. Yeah, and even nowadays, like uh, there are many sects of Islam that I've I've just heard. Like, so how do how do how do we reconcile that? Uh, the surah and that hadith well don't be divided is clearly a a a command to remain strong with the rope of allah holding on to the quran and the sunnah this is the this is the order of allah this is what we're supposed to do this is the obligation but there is also the reality of how human beings are the prophet peace be upon him said there is there are some things that will not leave my ummah. And one of those, he explained, is tribalism. People will be divided on in tri into tribes and they will, you know, and we see it today as well. I mean, if you look at the Arab world, even you look at Pakistan, you look at India, you look at Bangladesh, you look at any of the Muslim countries generally. Uh, most of them have their own sort of political allegiances and they have their own financial allegiances and they don't always work to, together. In fact, they're supposed to work together. They're brothers and sisters of one another. As an ummah, we're supposed to be united. But we 
we're clearly not united. This is precisely why you see an action being taken against Israel at the moment by a country that's not even Muslim, South Africa. We have the entire Muslim world not united because if we were united, there is no way that Israel would get away with what it's doing at the moment. But it's because, precisely because we're fragmented, it's precisely because we're divided uh, that um, we are going through the problems that we're going through. So it, it, the teachings of Islam are clear. Don't divide yourselves. Be united and hold steadfast to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, uh, Quran and Sunnah. But this is the reality of the situation that we are still very tribal in our nature. And so as a consequence, there is a lot of division. But may Allah, inshallah, guide us and help us and uh, bring us back together again. Um, Dr. Imran Ijaz, do you want to add anything to that at all? Yeah, so there's nothing to reconcile, brother. One is advice and the other one is, or a command, and the other one is prediction. Do you understand the difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's nothing. They're not actually saying opposite things. Do you understand? Just like Allah says, you know, pray, and then there some people are not praying. Um, mm. that doesn't mean that there's a contradiction there. It just means one is advice, and the other one is actually the reality of what people will do. Okay. So uh, another question, if I may. Um, Brother Abbas, yeah, if you're quick, inshallah, Brother Abbas has left. So whilst he's the way. Uh, yeah, regarding uh, Surah Atin, so it says in uh, we, we have created humans in their best form, but I uh, we when we see some some people are born like in not so perfect condition. So what does this uh, refer to, actually? So that, the 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 answer is in the verses. What does it say after that? Did you read the rest of the verses? So, so if you read read the verses and it will tell you. I'm just looking for it now while you read it. Yeah. Uh, so what's the first verse? Sorry? What's the first verse? The first one? The first verse you were saying? Uh, so we have created man in the best of? In the form, best yeah. form. Yeah. And then what does it say after that? Uh, we, will, we will reduce them to the lowest of... Not we will. But we will... Yeah, I'm using a... Quran.com. Okay, what's the? Give me the. Give me the. Uh, the, the the surah and the verse. Surah Surah Atin, uh, Surah ninety five. Ninety five and one and two, isn't it? Indeed, we created man in uh, in the in the best uh, created humans in the best form, but we yes. were reduced them to the lowest of the low. Yeah. Except those who believe and do good. Mm. So, what is it? What type of form is it talking about? Is it talking about the yeah, physical the, form or? 
Yeah, so so yeah, that was that's what I what I was asking. So, so, the, just, so the answers in the verses. So it's because it, it says we created human beings in the best form, but mm -hmm. we will reduce them to the lowest of the low, except those who believe. So there is a. Let me just let me give you an example. So there is a. There is a being, human being, that's perfect. Mm. Yeah. Some of them will be reduced to the lowest of the low, except yeah. those who believe and do good. So it's not talking about a physical aspect of the human being. Wow, okay. Because how? Because otherwise, if the human being, if they were reduced, they they will be reduced except for those who believe. Then the 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 factor that's making you reduced is not your form; it's actually your belief and good deeds. Do you understand? So it's not talking yeah. about your physical form is what makes you low. So you can have no arms, and be in the best form. Because you have faith and you do good deeds, or you can have a perfect exterior in terms of physicality, and be doing bad deeds and be the lowest of the low. Do you understand? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. So there, that's it's what I want to about the physical form. About. So okay. yeah, alhamdulillah. That's so. It's not talking about the physical form, and it's if anyone is born with any physical uh, disabilities or things, these are tests maybe for the individuals and those around them, but. Um, it doesn't mean that they are any less human. You know, just like if I were to lose my arm or my leg or the billah, you know, it wouldn't make me less human. It wouldn't make me less of, you know, uh, uh, someone who believes or does the best that he can do in whatever circumstances. So it's not about a physicality at all. It's not about your physical form, but it's talking about the nobility of the human, and that nobility comes from the fact that they are, they have a soul, and they, you know, they are moral beings. It's a spiritual aspect of the human being talking, being spoken about. Okay, Jazakallah yeah. okay, brother. He's not going to let you carry on, so let's leave quickly, inshallah. Jazakallah khair, brother. Abbas, you made him run away, man. I just, Why not? I'm sorry, what does it, what does it mean to do that? Um, uh, Saad, agnostic Muslim, if you have your camera on, I can get you on, otherwise we're going to have to get the uh, the next guest on. Uh, let's have a look. Fudo, if you can just give me a thumbs up, please. Lovely, Fudo. We're going to get you on next. You can turn your camera off or you can leave it on, whatever you're comfortable with. Fudo, welcome to the stream. Salam alaikum. Wa alaikum as salam, brother. Uh, how are you? Alhamdulillah, brother. We're absolutely fine. We're very happy to see you. What's your lovely question for us? Where are you tuning in from today? Uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, lovely. What's your question, Brother Fudo? Uh, I have two questions. Um, uh, I have I have a couple of problems uh, with uh, understanding uh, evolution. Uh, I uh, I want to understand uh, human human uh, evolution. I studied uh, all life uh, from, from books that. Uh, that uh, human is created from uh, Adam and Hawa. And uh, how do you put this together with uh, what, what they claim that uh, they have the knowledge uh, with this monkey business, uh, you know, ancestors and... Uh, okay, inshallah, I'll get, you... I'll get Dr. Imran because he is a doctor and he likes to 
uh, delve into monkey business. So, Doctor, what's the mon what's his monkey business going on? Please t t tell us, please. Alhamdulillah, jazakallah khair. Thank you. I don't know if I should thank you or not, but thank you for giving me the. Uh... So, Brother Fudo, you know what's the what is it you're trying to reconcile? Are you trying to reconcile the the scientific explanation for how human beings came about with the Islamic position? Is that the thing you're trying to do? Well, uh, when I went to school, I didn't pay attention that much to evolution. Only when I got older, I'm I'm 38 years old now, almost 39. Okay. I uh, I started reading biology books. You know, I buy cheap biology books, and uh, you know, and I watch TV shows. and And I have a kid in school, you know, and he's coming up, uh, you know, in his in this American school, and they will study this stuff. And I want to, you know, to prepare. In the best way to prepare him, you know, mentally uh, for 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 what's coming, because he he's at this age that uh, they will be studying these subjects, and uh, and I'm uh, I, I understand that uh, Islamic position from the shows that I watched, we don't have problem with the animal evolution, even if this happened, it's not a problem. But the the claim that they have in the biology books and in the anthropology books that I've read, and you know, uh, the stuff that they talk about on the shows is that there is huge similarity between uh, the, the monkeys and the human beings on the genetic level and on the uh, on anatomical level and all of these levels uh, there is 99% some kind of similarity according to them uh, you know some kind of study I don't I don't know uh, how accurate this is but th this is the claim and I I'm, I'm, I want to know I, I always understood we came from Adam and Hawa and this is not a metaphorical uh, thing. Uh, I, I understood that this was a, a, a real human beings that we descended from. And yes. I cannot explain why would there be so much similarity between uh, this animal species, you know, that cannot even talk and, and us. So I, I don't, the only, I always go back to the, the, the main difference for me is, okay, we can talk and they cannot talk. Uh, so, to me, this is enough to, to show, okay, there is no relation, but I don't know how to uh, put it in words to explain away the similarities. So I think the, I think one thing is sometimes we tie ourselves in knots trying to prove things or reconcile things that don't really need to be reconciled on a fundamental level. So well, I'll try to explain this. So what I mean by this is that um, you have to understand what, what science is on a on a fundamental basis, and what and how it works and how it arrives at its conclusions. Does that make sense? Yes, I I, I understand that this is theory and nobody saw it. And uh, oh, no, yes, it's, it's I, more it's more than this, brother. So the whole point here is that when the way that science works is it makes some things foundation some assumptions it makes foundational ones that means it's based upon these things it's built on these things so one of the things that is built on is that only the material world exists nature only nature exists yeah okay and then it has to then it has to make a model Somebody's posted a, uh, a link there, brother, uh, that you could look at after, maybe, inshallah. Yeah, I, think this is the, I think this is the talk we did with the Sheikh Abu Ali, I remember, oh, about, about okay. evolution, yeah. So this is really good. It answers your question in depth. But what? So 
having the foundation that only natural world exists, they have to explain how did life get here and how did human beings get here. Then the only way to come up with an answer to this question is some form of things, life coming out of nowhere, somehow coming. They call that abiogenesis. We don't know how that worked, but some somehow non-living things became living and started to get more and more complicated over time. And it's interesting when you think about it. We know there are creatures that are one cell, but we don't know two cell creatures. We don't know three cell creatures. We don't know four cell creatures. But they say these one cell creatures evolved over time, and they became even more complicated. than the way that they the way that they look at these complicated creatures like animals with bones, etc., is they they see this one skull here, and they see another one, slightly bigger one, and they see a slightly bigger one, and they say, oh. Let me put these in a pattern. I, this must be the way they were growing. It's just an assumption. Do you understand? So this this idea that uh, things, because they look the same, have come from the same place, this is uh, the part of the assumptions of evolution. And we have to understand that within the, within the framework of science, that everything is natural, and everything that uh, everything that uh, we explain has to be a natural way of explaining it. You have to take anything like uh, Adam and Hawa out of the equation, and like Allah out of the equation, because it doesn't fit with that framework. So what you can do is you can, when it comes to your children, you empower you empower, you empower them with understanding what science is. That it's a it's a it's a model that is used to explain how the world works. If they're but the idea is that there is no creator who brought, the, brought this about, etc. Uh, it just happened in, in a natural way because of certain laws. And then there's the Islamic position, which is outside of this, that actually Allah created everything that we see, including the human beings, specifically Adam and how uh, Adam al-Islam was a, a special creation from Allah. And you can give these positions, and you don't have to get into this, but how do we reconcile and just because they make the claim, because every claim they're going to make is going to be based upon the assumption that if some things look the same, they are the same they in origin, and that's false. So I know that was a bit, uh, how did you find, I know it's not, I didn't go into the monkey business too much, but how did you find that, brother? I I understand you are trying to give me a general principle, and and I that that is that is uh, I have a little bit of idea about that. I I get mm -hmm. what you are trying to do, but I I would like that we that I have something something that I can uh, use as kind of like a direct you know uh, uh, direct weapon against this because this this is not going to end. It's not just okay. They will study this in school and. As, as far as I can tell, this stuff is permeating every single uh, aspect of of, uh, of the Western life here. That it's it's yes. in every kind of it's in the business, it's in the it's in the economics. It, this this thing, uh, if you call it ideology, it's in it's in every single part of the study. If he study uh, anthropology, he will he will uh, you know he will get into this. If he study psychology, he will get into this. Like it's in, it's in everywhere. So this thing yeah. is not going to end. And uh, that, that it's not so just okay. Answer, answer it. You know, and I get it. I get it. So I gave you the principle. Now, if you want some specific, um, there are lots of videos that give you lots of evidence of as to why the uh, the model does not work itself. What's wrong with it? And uh, there's if you look in the if you look in the uh, chat, there's some links that we will paste there. Um, so this one is that is on the screen for you already. 
There's another one here that was posted by uh, Brother Isaac Adams. If you click on these videos, these are long videos discussing the, the model itself and the inconsistencies that we see about it. So if you if you went through those, so one is this one here. God, I, I saw them. I, I saw I saw everything. I saw maybe so that, so about fifty yeah. videos, uh, plus Doctor Kunebi's uh, from Jordan, his series on Rihla to Yaqeen. I've seen that. He talks about it. I mean, I took a great interest because I, I don't want my kid to become a kafir over this. So I'm, pre I'm trying to a, prepare. A brother, wait one second, brother. You know. If evolution is true or not true, it does not. There's no reason that it affects the existence of Allah. It does not affect it. Do you understand? It does not affect it. You can say, even in in, if you want to say everything about evolution is true, but Adam and Islam and how they are special creations. Job finished. It doesn't. Nothing. It doesn't lead to. It doesn't lead to uh, kufr. So I know you but seem to be worried. But why about is it. so similar? Why? Why is there a huge similarity between the, well, what, this? Where is the evidence, brother Fudo? What I would urge you to do is, uh, you said you've looked at all the streams. You looked at all the videos. Yes. Uh, it, it, you know the the issue is when, as Doctor has explained, if the fundamental foundational concept that you see everything by has naturalistic explanations, then that similarity, you're not going to say God chose the programming language of chromosomes and DNA, and he used that language to program every creature that ever existed. Therefore, any creature that has greater similarity with human beings will have greater similarity with the DNA and chromosomes. You're not going to argue that as a scientist, are you? But as a theist, as a as a as a person who believes in God, that could be one potential explanation that the programming language that was used was DNA. And the more similar you find something, the closer the DNA match will be, because that's the programming language. Now, as a scientist, you're never going to come to that conclusion because everything has a naturalistic explanation. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, if you have, for example, Neanderthal or prehistoric DNA in your body, even though Islamically we would not accept this concept, that the offspring of Adam how, had a sharing of DNA with prehistoric creatures, prehistoric similarities to men, uh, uh, th therefore they inherited those genes. Though we would not argue this from an Islamic point of view, when I asked somebody who was very well versed with evolution, he said we wouldn't see any different any difference in the DNA that we have today. But that would not be a scientific explanation because that becomes like a supernatural explanation because it now has miracles of man being independent of another uh, pre-human species that was very similar to man where they could potentially mate and share DNA. Now, even though that's not an Islamic understanding that we would not accept it, but it's another potential hypothesis but science will always deny it because you're still referring to a miraculous creation of Adam and Eve. So there are lots of potential issues that could have happened that would show the same result that we see today. But you'd have to have the miraculous concept of Adam and Eve being created, which science will never accept because it's. I, I understand. It I understand on, that, but right. But don't you don't you think? 
I, I, I know what you're doing, and, I, and I, I've seen this before. We are always going back to concepts and we are going back to philosophy. But don't you think that we should have some direct evidence that shows that humans are special? And that, why, uh, should why should we? This could be a, this could be this could be a, this could be a test from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala upon human beings that Allah has given you enough evidence of the Quran being miraculous, of it being preserved, and it tells you that we created Adam and Eve. Now Allah says, Allah says in the Quran something very interesting: that Do you believe in the seen and the unseen? There are unseen aspects of uh, things out there as well. And there are things out there that may cause you doubt. But do you deny the Quran? Do you not deny the existence of God? Do you de deny the existence of the Prophet ﷺ and his prophethood? Do you, de do you not deny the miraculous nature of the Quran? Because these things are confusing or these things uh, appear to be somewhat some, somewhat problematic to understand. Uh, this could be a test from Allah. It could be a multitude of reasons. But why should there be direct analytical and empirical evidence that confirms that human beings could have only been created through a miraculous event by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where is the test then, if that's the case? If it's impossible for human beings to come up any other way, when I say impossible, I mean analytically, empirically provable, then why? Then, then there would be no test anymore. Then, then we cannot argue against these guys scientifically. I don't see, I don't see a way out of this. Well, I, I tried it, brother, brother Fuda. But that's what I told you in the beginning. That the the fundamental principles of science leave them with no option but to come to the conclusion they've come to. Do you understand? So, you're, what you're doing is you're saying you are, whether you realize or not, you're saying science is the only way that you can explain things. Science is the no, only way that you can no, arrive. No, no, I'm, I'm looking. No, one no. One. Brother, no. listen to me. Just listen to yes, me. Yes, I'm second. listening. I'm listening. Okay. So, so listen carefully. You're saying that science is the only way to explain. So the point is that we, what, why would we use science when we know that the, the foundation of science is in the wrong place for this question? It can't answer this question of uh, that Allah creates Adam and Eve. It cannot answer this question. Why can it not answer this question? Because it doesn't, in its foundation and its framework, it does not have the ability to go to that place. It says, no, there is nothing apart from the material world. The only way we can explain the things that exist is by the by some method that starts from a beginning to an end. It has to be small changes over time. And that's it. So this is the foundational principle. Now, if that's the foundational principle, then you can say, okay, fine, you have your foundational principle. I understand why you come to the conclusion that you do. How does that affect uh, uh, your principle of a conclusion outside of the scientific framework? It doesn't affect it at all. Just like there's no way for but science... No, but there's no way to explain something like this to a kid or even to a 20-year-old with, with, that, that they will be able to understand this because you, can, you are... No, of course you can, brother. They will just look at the Dude, stuff. They will look at the, what the book tells them. They look in the no, biology no, book and they see. They see all these diagrams. And they, what, what will they do? They will think this. Yeah, but this is the, you're assuming that uh, children are like robots that don't think. And children, children are very clever. And you have to start by explaining and, and, and laying the foundations. So uh, how, how, can we talk about, uh, how can we talk about these things? You talk about... Um, 
where the limits of a box are. You have to give principles. And actually, it takes time and takes patience that you solely nurture your children over many, many years. This can't be what you sit down one conversation, take the science book and slap them around the head and throw it out the window. Don't believe in this book because that's not going to work. Because you can you can use the science to to do useful things. And you can also explain why it has limits on the conclusions you can draw from it. This is the difference between the science and the philosophy of science. Uh, Brother Fudo, we're running out of time. And yeah. we've, we've still got three people we really need to rush through. Uh, but inshallah, look, you, you said you've gone through quite a lot of material. Um, uh, just re remember, lastly, Adam and Eve are a supernatural miracle. They're a creation of a life, which is outside the scope of science. And that's how I would explain it to my child, that science is great. Learn science to do medicine, to do all of these things, to, uh, you know, to, to, to do all of that. That's fine. There's no problem with that. We're not anti-science. -science. But when it comes to matters, which some, there are scientists who themselves have contentions with certain theories and contentions with certain arguments, then we, 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 we leave it. We can say, look, that this Adam and Eve is a miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we establish that as a miracle because the Quran we establish as being from Allah as a miracle. And because the Quran claims that Adam and Eve were created uh, independently, they were, they, they're not from a uh, descendants of apes or monkeys or whatever. Alhamdulillah, we believe this. Now, when you're doing your science, you could be a methodological naturalist and you do your science uh, according to that philosophy. Uh, of science but when it comes to theology this is a different and these concepts of mir miracles miraculous creation are outside of science and science doesn't have many answers like biogenesis where does where does dead matter where does dead matter suddenly become living matter living biological living matter and how do you give rise to consciousness from something that doesn't possess consciousness Dead matter, chemicals, metals, minerals can yeah, somehow but, uh, but, can somehow yeah, but, uh, adopt uh, consciousness. So these are the sort of uh, things that you need to sort of discuss and, and bring up. But brother Fudo, we've actually really run out of time. I'm really sorry we can't extend the conversation. Maybe if you come a bit earlier next time, we could perhaps extend the conversation or add to it. I hope you don't mind. Okay, thank you, okay, guys. Okay, my brother. Thank you for coming on. Salam alaikum. Uh, we're going to be very quick with the last three guests. Uh, Saad, if you can just give me a quick wave, please, if you don't mind, brother, sorry, because we are quite late. Just make your question brief and I'll get Dr. Imran to answer it first. Or, or Ijaz, please. Ijaz, maybe. Go ahead. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum as warahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sorry, what was that? No, no, go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so I was actually here uh, last time. I'm not sure if you remember. I asked the question about uh, Adam Ali Salam. Peace be upon him. Uh, I was Please at, go I ahead. Was, I believe it was the, yeah, I believe it was the Daba Clinic uh, live stream. Uh, sorry. I, sorry I, I went out like that. I, I Actually, you guys didn't bore me to sleep. Uh, it was just that uh, my phone died. And, uh, no, no, that's quite guys, all right, brother. That's quite all right. Yeah, Did you, you have a question yeah. today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my question uh, for today was uh, that. So it's it's not it's not not a not a doubt at all. Uh, thank you, uh, brother Josh, for picking me up on that last time. Uh, it's more of a question. Uh, so my question was that uh, which uh, 
what should we uh, think? What should our attitude uh, be towards uh, like some of the uh, historical figures, uh, some Islamic figures like uh, Salahuddin and uh, Salahuddin Ayyubi, uh, may Allah have mercy on his soul, uh, uh, and some of the other figures. Obviously, some of them are being uh, are, are being uh, slandered. Uh, you know, different different groups slandering historical figures, Islamic figures. And I feel like there's already enough, enough hate on uh, on Islamic history. Uh, we we shouldn't we shouldn't be hating our own uh, our own uh, historical figures, important figures like that. What, what what do you guys think about that? So when you say what should our view be in terms of how, how we should hold them in terms of uh, in terms of their morality and their their history and yeah exactly. yeah exactly exactly. I mean, I, I would just, you know, these are historical figures. I would just simply go with the strongest evidence um, that indicates that these were often very noble people, very disciplined people. But ultimately, you may find out something negative about somebody. We're all human beings. We might make mistakes or say something wrong. Uh, we shouldn't idolize anybody to an extent whereby suddenly they become the pinnacle of our example. Because, of course, the pinnacle of our example is the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. History is very interesting. We should learn history, definitely, because history actually uh, often vindicates uh, Islam from the accusations that people are making about it being treacherous and about it being uh, warmongering and, you know, violent. In fact, we find the exact opposite uh, when we compare it to other civilizations that existed before, during and after Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, Islam actually comes out as the one with principles and discipline uh, and ethics and morals and standards. And in fact, you know, these figures like Salahuddin, uh, like, um, um, you know, some of the other historical figures that we have, um, you know, they, they really are very much admired even by, I would say, many non-Muslim historians when they refer to them. Uh, you know, they see a level of principle mm -hmm. and a level of uh, of, uh, of um, decorum and, uh, and fair play. Uh, which they derive directly from the teachings of Islam. But, uh, you know, when I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that um, unless you know for sure, and that's very, very difficult, don't speak negatively of people, including historian, people in history. Don't slander, don't, don't say things or do things that potentially could be slanderous and then that would make you responsible. It's better to be agnostic on certain issues where the, where the information might be patchy, but rather than make negative comments about somebody, be very, very careful because if it's slander, Bohtan, Bohtan carries a very, very severe penalty in Islam. We're, right. not, permitted, we're not permitted to gossip. We're not permitted to slander uh, people, uh, even those who are dead, even those who have died uh, before. So just be very careful of that. But where, where much of the history about these figures is very profound. It's very accurate, generally speaking, and it's fairly... Uh, it's it's accepted in in a, in a consensus generally, uh, and you won't find many contentions to the main figures. With some figures, there might be some difference of opinion. I would rather just remain agnostic rather than take a negative stance on someone. Uh, because ultimately, how does that affect your deen? How does it affect your Islam? Your Islam and your deen comes from the Prophet wasallam and from the Quran, of course, right? From the Quran and from the Sunnah. Yeah, uh, and these people of history are interesting, but again, don't idolize them and do not slander them either. Uh, brother Ijaz, uh, Dr. Imran, would you like to add anything to that at all? Sorry, oh, I've, the, sorry the brother's dropped off. I don't know what happened there uh doctor would you like to add anything 
No, that's fine. Ijaz, Ijaz, do you want to add anything, brother? I'm okay, Jessica. Alhamdulillah. Uh, agnostic, Muslim, if you want to put your camera on, otherwise I'm going to get Brother Ardham on. Uh, Brother Ardham, just give me a quick point. That's lovely. Thank you very much. I want to get Brother Ardham on. Brother Ardham, welcome to the stream. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Brother, where are you tuning uh, in from today? From Switzerland. From Switzerland, mashallah. Okay. Exactly. It's uh, I have a question. Please, go ahead, brother. Sorry, go on. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's rather short. It's not really a doubtful question. It's rather a simple question. So I was reading the Quran. I usually read it in the original language or translation, which might be, in my case, German or Turkish. So out of curiosity, I started reading in English. So I came across this verse, uh, Surah Al-Baqarah 152. It says, in English, it says, remember me, I will remember you. And thank me and never be ungrateful. So I feel like the word remember is not befitting here. Because if I read the English, uh, German one or the Turkish one, it uses a different word for it. If you translate it into English, it uses like the word mention me or refer to me. So I shall mention to you, mention your name and refer to you. So yeah. I feel like this might cause confusion. So, and I looked up multiple uh, translations and all, all use the word remember. So I was curious why in English. Would they use this word? So, so what it is, Brother Adam? I mean, I'll, I'll let Brother Ijaz actually answer that. Uh, Ijaz, in terms of reading the Quran and the translations, did you get the question, Brother? Yeah, I, I got the question, mm. and it could be based on. So, in any translation, there's a range uh, with which they have to translate. Some go for word for word uh, text translation or literal translation. Others go for a thought-by-thought -thought translation. So there's a translation method. Alongside that translation method, it's the use of various commentaries of the Quran uh, as uh, used by popular uh, uh, ulama throughout history and some based on modern academics. And then there's considerations for uh, Asbab and Nizul, uh, the occurrences of Revelation. So a translator has to look at uh, many domains of knowledge before interpreting and translating any ayah of the Quran. It could be in this case that they went for a thought-for-thought -thought translation uh, as opposed to a word-for-word -word translation. That's simply down, down, down to method, methodology and style. Uh, mm. but that's my take on it. I leave it with Dr. Imran, inshallah. Dr. Imran, would you like to add anything, brother? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Brother, what's the confusion? Uh, no, no, I'm not confused. Like, if I read the Turkish no, one or the German... What, what was the... I, I was, the question is, like, why, if there are words such as, like, mention, which is more befitting, rather than remember. Remember is such a human concept, right? We can forget, we remember. So using remember me, I will remember you, is not befitting, I feel like. So why use that... Overall, what, in the, what, the, what is the excuse doctor, me? You lost the your, your sound cut off for some reason, it just halfway through it cut off. Yeah, okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, say okay, testing. Sorry. Say so, testing what was one, two, three, doctor? Say testing one, two, three. I, I think if Erdem can hear me, I'm, I'm oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's so what is the unbefitting part of it? No, no, like the word remember. I feel like it's a more human word. Like we forget, so we remember. So s saying it like "remember me," I will remember you. There's yeah. So this is a mis this is actually a misapplication of the word "remember." Mm -hmm. So remembering somebody does not mean you've forgotten them in any way. 
Um, indeed, in the remembrance of Allah, do the hearts find rest. It doesn't mean that you've forgotten Allah. It means actually mentioning Allah, remembering Allah inside you on a regular basis. It implies to continually bring someone to your consciousness and and mention them. So uh, I understand that when we think, "Oh, do, do you remember? Oh, you did you remember this?" We're talking to somebody who may have forgotten something. That's one use of the word. Yeah. But actually, this is talking about a. Uh, uh, the rem- the reminder uh, it's, it's basically about you know in a sense doing a type of dhikr uh, or a type of continual bringing your, bringing ourselves mindfully to uh, hold a line in our thoughts of whatever we do and so i understand that you're wh- what you're saying is actually if somebody didn't understand that the term remember can be you know actually just mentioning it's the same which is why you're getting both of these translations it was it's not something that would any in any way Ascribed to Allah, absolutely being mindful. Brother Isaac has put a good uh, turn here. Being mindful, um, so you know, you know, if I say, "Oh, I, I remember," you know, I was being, I was remembering you. It doesn't mean that I, that I had forgotten you. That I was bringing you to mind. And this is the way that this first word is used. So I think it's, um, you know, the translation that I have, I have here is, is similar, mm. and it's, it's saying, and it's saying using the word uh, remember, and, and I think that that. What we should do is just appreciate the the nuance within that, that it's not actually simply talking about. Uh, um, it says, "It says, remember me. I will remember you. Thank me and never be ungrateful." And this, if we go back to the the verse before, we sent to every messenger from you amongst the most, reciting your our revelations, purifying you, and teaching you the book and wisdom, and teaching you that which you never knew. And then it goes on to say, "Remember me and keep." This is to keep me in mind. And that's uh, chapter two, verse one five one and one five two and one five three. So I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think there is a. I don't actually think there is a potential for confusion here. My personal view. I know that you may disagree, and I think that's why the scholars have used who are translating have used sort of either on either side. Yeah, no, I was just confused because like other languages, they never use that word. Like that is equal to remember. They use like more mention refer in German or yeah. Turkish. Where Where so, are you from? Brother? Uh, Switzerland. Switzerland. Okay. So, it is. It is a more. Um, it, it is a sort of uh, a less uh, sort of um, literal approach, but actually, yeah. it's sort of in a way, it's sort of uh, you know. I think it's sort of uh, it maybe fits with more of the the uh, the intention, the flow of the verses that are behind it. Mm, yeah. No, mine was a very quick question. I don't really have a doubt. I don't. Yeah, know no, no, no. we appreciate that. Alhamdulillah. And also very quickly, Brother Ardam, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is why the Quran is the Quran in Arabic and everything else yeah. is just a close approximation of the meaning. And sometimes the English language doesn't necessarily work with other cultures, even though they might speak English. So, for example, you know, if I said to you, you know, give me a light in English, that would mean uh, a f- light a cigarette or a cigar or something. But in certain other cultures, they might read the English, give me a light, they pull out a torch or they pull out a lantern, you see. Uh, so this is why language doesn't always work, especially when it's on multiple uh, multiple different sort of parts of the world where, they, where English is perhaps not their first language. Um, or, of course, you know, German or Swiss or whatever, you know, German, Swiss, whatever, uh, might not be their first language. So uh, the, that's, this is why the Quran is the Quran in Arabic. So, but alhamdulillah, it's, it's a, it was a good question. Uh, may Allah reward you and uh, I speak to you soon again, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum
uh, we've got our special guest now, all the way down from down under, from Aussie. Uh, I'll give you a clue. He drives a truck, mashallah, and has noor on his face and his smile that is mashallah contagious. Who am I talking about? None other than Mr. Sioni, all the way from down <laughs> deep under. How are you doing, brother, Sioni? Uh, alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum to you. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, brother. How are you? Alhamdulillah, absolutely fine. How are things down under? You, you still got the summer down there. We've got the winter up here. Yeah, no, it's all right. The last, uh, I'd say a week has been a bit odd because you get really what rainy weather and then the sun would come out and the rain would stop and it'd just be hot and muggy. But it is what it is. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So what brings right. you on the stream today, Brother Sioni? Nothing. I just... I always I thought I'd just quickly jump on before you close and just give my salams to you, brothers. Been a while since I've spoken to you, so I just pulled up at home. So, all right, mashallah. Well, jazakallah uh, khair, <laughs> salam to you, and uh, it's always a, always a pleasure to see you and speak to you. Uh, do give uh, our regards to your uh, wife, your our sister. And also, I think her friend as well, Mashallah, who also took their shahadas as well. Mella, bless you all. And uh, yeah, Jazakallah Khair for coming on, Brother Sioni. Oh, good. No worries. Nice to see you again. Alaikum, brother. Yeah, Walaikum Salam. Alhamdulillah. Okay, guys, so that's the end of the stream. Uh, we've, Mashallah, uh, had lots of uh, lovely guests on today. We're very, very honored. Uh, to have met you all and Jazakallah Khair to all of the mods. I know we keep saying it, uh, but to be on there for hours and hours uh, and uh, constantly being, uh, you know, monitoring and vetting, uh, subhanAllah, may Allah bless you all and mashallah give you equal share in the stream and uh, benefit you and your families as well, inshallah. Uh, Dr. Imran, I know that you're used to doing much longer streams. Uh, one was, I think, nine hours and 20 or something minutes. Which took, me, yeah, which took me three or four days to actually get through. It took me ages to get through. Um, and, uh, you know, our stream here has just been a very modest uh, three hours and 20. <laughs> so I know you're probably very disappointed. Everybody's asking to see the cat, but my cat doesn't want to know me today. Normally, he's always making noise. Uh, Ollie, come here. Ollie? Um, and come here, come here. They want to see you. Come here, come here, come here. Oh, come here. Oh, god, I've got I've done my back in, so I'm going to lift my cat who weighs as much as a tiger. Ooh. Here he is, Ollie. Say hello, mashallah. Say hello. He doesn't want to know. Okay, I tried. He's not interested in EF Dawa or interested in any of the EF Dawa guests. Uh, all the first flying around now. I'm going to start sneezing, as you can see. Okay. So, uh, Alhamdulillah, it was a good, great stream, mashallah. Uh, mainly because of, you can see all, the, you can see all his hair fly, fur flying around now. Um, right. I don't know what to say now. My cat's stolen the show. Dr. Imran, how should we finish the stream? Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah to everyone who joined. Jazakallah to the mods. We really appreciate all your efforts. Brothers behind the scene, Brother Anis and uh, Brother Ayaz, inshallah, may I increase you. Um, and Brother Ijaz for joining today, really, really useful. And we learn a lot from you every time you come, may I increase you, you, inshallah. I just took the mantles because there's uh, one person left. 
agnostic Muslim. Yeah, but he's not put his camera on. Um, oh, okay, my bad. And very, he's not verified himself. If he had, I would have got him on. I did ask oh, everyone no. to keep putting their cameras on, but you know, if you don't put the camera on, can't verify you. Yeah, a lot uh, of people. Go on, Imran. Sorry, Ijaz. Sorry, go on. A lot of people think that Brother Abbas's cat is innocent, but that cat almost, uh, <laughs> I would say, kidnapped me for a couple of uh, minutes while I visited Brother Abbas's home. Yeah, so Ijaz used the toilet at my house when he was down in England, and my cat, which is very, very, like, he's very cautious of any strangers, he'll run he's away. Gigantic. And my cat was like shocked that Ijaz was coming out the toilet because he didn't recognize Ijaz. You know, it was a bit dark, and he looked a bit like a <laughs> it looked a bit like a gremlin, stroke hobbit type. You know, yes, exactly. And my my cat got actually scared of Ijaz, but Ijaz was actually more scared than my cat was. Ijaz went, ah, he, he's he's looking at me. I said, yeah, Ijaz, he's he's not a tiger. It's just a cat. No, but they scratch. They, they can scratch you. My cat is the most softest, nicest, kindest cat in the whole world. You know, he follows me around, meowing, cuddles, kisses. He's never bit me, never scratched me, uh, never deliberately anyway, right? When he gets shocked and he runs off or something, then he might exactly. have a Exactly. So he has almost killed Accidentally, you. Accidentally, but not deliberately, Jazz. But you acted literally like you saw... Uh, a tiger about to pounce on you. I thought you were. I thought you had to turn around and run back into the toilet again. But I then, did. I did twice. Yeah, exactly. You were like, yeah. "It's a cat. Just, just come on. No, 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 no. I'm not going to trust you on that. Your uh, cats are fun, crazy." Okay. Anyway, that was a that was a rather funny episode that we had. Jazakallah khair to everyone that joined us. Uh, please remember us and our families in your dua. And once again, Jazakallah khair to all of you who contribute to the stream. Um, who recommend and share the stream uh, and also, um, you know, um, the, the likes and all the members and everything. Jazakallah khair for everything. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.